Good morning, beloved. Welcome back. Monday morning. Boy, it feels like spring around here, or it did yesterday. The Sweet Loaf and Jack and I went for our first one-wheel ride of the year. It was about uh, 50 degrees or so, and it was nice to be out. And today, I woke up to a furious snowstorm. You never know what's going to be taking place in the mountains. So welcome. I'm glad to have everyone here. Hope you had a good weekend. I've been very encouraged about, uh, well, encouraged and somewhat challenged by so many of you who have been taking my cold shower challenge uh, to a new level. Now, we have two, <laughs> two of our moderators alone uh, that have pushed the envelope. First was 15 minutes, and then I heard 16 minutes, and then our friend Skyler here. Is that true? Do we have receipts? Is that even possible? 26 minutes? Oh man, 26 minutes. I was thinking I was going to come up with the challenge for you guys of maybe 15 minutes next week, but you're blowing it out of the water, and I don't know if I want to do any more challenges, because to be honest with you, I don't want to take a 20-minute cold shower. <laughs> so <laughs> that is pretty rough. All right, so as promised, a couple things I want to go over this morning. Um, I wanted to share with you guys this is probably one of the most important things that I could recommend you get. If you have a prepping mindset, if you want to have a one-and-done massive trauma kit for an extraordinary price, I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't have a dog in the fight. These are just my friends over at Refuge Medical. This is the five-gallon kit that I wanted to share with you last week. And we can, if you let, let me know. Put sevens in the comment if you want to take a quick peek inside of this. But this is really good. This is not like the crummy kits you're going to get from REI you know, where, you know, they, they look like they're good, but they really don't have any contents. This thing is chock full and ready for a massive trauma. If you had a mass casualty incident, if you had, uh, I mean, look what happened to Turkey. Look at, I mean, you could imagine if you had to deal with multiple people that were injured because of building collapses, wildland fire, who knows, a million different things. How long would your little IFAC last? Uh, not very long. And that would be if you wanted to use it at all, because you might want to save it for your own family. So these, I think what I heard from Refuge, Jariah checked on, up on it for a little bit, my manservant. He does a lot of good work around here. And it was telling me, I think that these were around the $100 range when they, when they first came out. And he left me a note here. They were about $130 now. And apparently, they're having some difficulty sourcing a lot of these materials because they're getting so many orders that I think might be from the government. So this would be something, if you have any discretionary income, you might want to take a look at it. Just go over to our friends at Refuge Medical. Maybe one of the middlemen can throw up a link there. Again, I, I don't make anything from these. I'm not affiliated. This is just a public service announcement. So let me know in the comments there if you'd like to. We could take a peek inside there and see. All right, let me get my chat filter on here. Oh, Mama, it's not Friday. I had to put Mama Kitty out last night, last Friday, because she became so entitled. Let us get started properly. You know what time it is. Oh, is that right? No, no, Friday. Wait for Friday, wait for Friday. And even then, there's no guarantee. The more I pet her, the more entitled she becomes. Almost dropped her. Oh, we dropped it. Fell into our cuff. Okay, we're going on nearly. We're coming up on two weeks with no gas spillage, and that's really, really extraordinary for me. Yeah, we're definitely low. Let's see if we can continue our streak. It's funny. I was looking on this can. It said, "Not to be refilled." What was that? Do not or or, or single use, one-time use. 
I'll bet this thing's 20 years old. <laughs> All right. Careful. This, of course, is our dual fuel lantern. Wouldn't be a bad idea to have a, one of these around the homestead or the apartment or wherever in the event of emergency because you can run off of white fuel or kind of run off of normal unleaded. No spilling so far. Oh, okay, so far so good. Thirty pumps. Ethan Haymore. He went full send. How long? 15 minutes? Goodness, that's no joke, man. You guys throwing that out there like it's no big deal. I can tell you it is a big deal because I suffered immensely in my 10 minutes. You know, I can't help but think that I'm at a disadvantage. You know, I'm, I have a thin build. And those of you who are a little bit stockier than me you know, you've got that extra layer of insulation. I'm, I'm, you know, I like to tell myself that I'm suffering a great deal more than some of you are. I don't know if that's the truth or not. It has been, it has been, oh, look at that. I didn't even get scared. It has been proven, as I'm so fond of reminding Mrs. W, that men's nerves are closer to the skin than our, um, than our female companions. You know, they have... Uh, higher body fat, a little bit more body fat on them, and they're insulated. That's why often, I, that's why I'm convinced anyway, this is certainly anecdotal, why you see little girls jumping around the Pacific Ocean more than you see little boys. <laughs> so, it could be. I don't know, but I, I'm going to go with that. Okay, let us, let us keep our streak running here. This might be the most successful light, lighting of the lantern that we've had so far. Okay, you going to go? Okay, I think, I think we're good. I wanted to start off, so I received a letter, I think it was on Friday, from one of, our, one of our brothers in the chat, and he found himself in a very difficult situation and asked, of course, I, I would keep him anonymous because it's an embarrassing, an embarrassing thing that he has done, uh, but he asked for advice as to what he should do, and I thought, well, you know what, I'll weigh in on this because because I can, it's my channel. So what happened is he sent me an email and he was just distraught. He said he had um, made the decision to cheat on his girlfriend with a prostitute. And he felt so guilty about it afterwards that he had uh, immediately come clean, confessed to her, and uh, was wanting to seek some advice on, on what he should do. Apparently, she was not willing to leave uh, and was willing to stay the course. And I thought about that a lot this weekend. Now, I have never been involved with a prostitute. Um, I don't know if you guys have or not, so I, I don't really understand that so much. Um, but I guess maybe I do. I mean, if you, well, it doesn't really make any difference. The point is, is this. I guess the advice and what I was thinking about that is, first off, that was a, a very stupid thing to do, and I don't need to tell you, but you already know that. And if you find yourselves in a situation like that, the advice that I would give you 
is if you made a mistake with your girlfriend like that, that you need to keep that to yourself. And you need to, you need to carry that burden yourself instead of unloading that and dumping, dumping it on a, a loved one. Now, I'm not advocating this, you know, and I don't advocate keeping secrets or being dishonest with our loved ones, obviously. But what's the benefit of something like that? If you've made a, if you've made a bad decision, and you've acknowledged and you realize and you've repented to your God and you've sought forgiveness for this, sometimes in situations like that, the worst thing you can do, seems to me anyway, is to unload, your, and bur unload that burden upon a loved one. It will forever change that relationship. She will never be able to look at you the same. You've, you've, lost, your you've lost a great deal of respect uh, amongst her and amongst your family members as well. I don't know that I would pursue that relationship. Now, first off, this is not your wife. This is a very different thing. For some reason, the lines have been blurred that a girlfriend or a fiance is the same as a wife, and you can kind of interchange them, and it's not. Having had both, I can tell you it's not. She's still just a girlfriend. It, just, it really doesn't mean anything. Potentially, possibly, maybe it'll turn into something. Maybe she will be your wife, but really, you don't owe her anything. She doesn't owe you anything. You're not bound by any sort of an oath. You're not bound by any sort of a commitment or anything like that. So to start off a relationship like that, that you are dating and you decide to go to a prostitute and break that trust, I, I wouldn't, it would be time for her to move on. The fact that she would even stay with you uh, is shocking. Uh, I, and I don't know that why, and I don't know all the details, but how could you possibly enter into the hard and heavy labor that is a marriage? 10, 20, 30 years in, raising your kids, the stress and all of that, starting it off on the wrong foot like that with a massive betrayal of trust, um, I just don't see it possible. So my advice to you if you're watching and listening, first off, stay away from prostitutes. Secondly, you need to move on. Cut this girl loose and um, it's just, it's, it's just going to be too difficult. You will find, unless you want to have that thrown in your face the rest of your life, because one thing that's different between, between men and women is uh, women don't forget, typically. Um, and they will stew on that and they will bring that around and around and around every time you have a stressor or an argument and it will be something you'll always have to deal with and you'll have no response. You know, there's nothing you can say. You've lost respect, you've lost credibility as a man with her, and you'll just have to learn from that. I would advise you to learn from that, um, cut her loose, move on, figure out what was going wrong, why do you thought you needed to go to a prostitute, and um, act accordingly. Yeah, all right, let's jump in here. Are we lit? We're good? Okay. We have a super chat from Mr. Hammond Electric, Glock 43X or 26? Oh man, that's so interesting. You should ask that. So remind me if I think I'm, I haven't followed up on this, but I believe the 43 is the narrow. Is that correct? Overton, can you give me a little uh, clarification on that? I'm going to go forward under that premise. So G Glock came out with a compact or a, a skinny compact a few years ago, which is, if you don't know what that is, is a single stack. Now, one of the most important things, one of the most difficult things to conceal carry is a thick, a thick pistol. It just, it, especially if you're going to be wearing inside the waistband, that, that thickness is very difficult. You can put up with a long slide, you can put up with a long handle, but that thickness is really, really difficult for a lot of people. So that's really appealing uh, to 
a lot of folks. Actually, my, my buddy just bought one, and that's his concealed carry. He really, really likes it. Now, I have looked at them. I've held them. I haven't shot one, but I'm somewhat familiar with them. And we had this discussion with my buddy uh, Peter the other night. He came, him and his wife came over for a game night, and he works at a gun store and has a lot of a knowledge and deals with these things all the time and talks to a lot of people and is in, you know, kind of in the know on this stuff. And we basically came to the consensus that both of us personally would prefer to have the 26, the, the, just the old school regular 26 because of, there's so many reasons. First off, uh, to have that extra, uh, the extra magazine, the, the, the additional capacity in the magazine. You know, so with that 26, you know, you have, you can, with a plus two, you've got 12 rounds. And it's very small, very easy to conceal carry. That's what I conceal carry probably 90% of the time. It's a Gen 3 G26. If I were to go to that single stack that you're talking about, that narrow one, as convenient and nice as that would be, it's no longer compatible with anything that I have with all of the rest of my arsenal. So all of my, you know, my 19s and 26s, 19Xs, you know, all, all the stuff that I have, now I can interchange parts. I can interchange trigger groups. I can interchange uh, magazines. All the magazines are going to fit. Everything's the same, even holsters to a certain extent. Not all of them, but most of them, I'll be able to go back and forth with holsters, so, like the Kydex outside the waistband that I carry. Just a simple one that one of my subscribers made. It's the one I carry most of the time. It's, it's got the clips on it, so I don't have to thread it through a belt, so it's easy. Because I don't, you know, if I'm going to be in a long car ride, and my car rides are typically pretty long, it, it takes me 40 minutes just to get to town, so it's going to be minimum of 40 minutes. So you're looking at two hours in the car. It's uncomfortable to have that and throwing your hips out of alignment and poking you in the back and all that nonsense. So I want that thing off, but I do not want to unthread a belt and go through all of that. So I like those clips on it. And having that one holster, whatever I choose to carry, provided it doesn't have a light on it, whether it be a 19 Gen 3, 19 Gen 4, a 19X, even a 17, any one of them in the range of the 9mm is gonna be able to snap in there and I can quickly interchange it. And I like that. Uh, that, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but as you are making decisions on what you want to carry, you know, if I'm going to go into Portland, you know, it depends, but some, or more of a, a higher risk area, you know, I'm going to be a lot more comfortable having a 19X, a full size grip with that large capacity than trying to hold, you know, a small 26. But sometimes it's not suitable. If you're going to be going to church and you might be wearing a jacket or something a little bit more fitted, you know, that's not going to be appropriate to have something that large and you don't want to be that guy. You know, you want to be discreet. You can be discreet. The holster systems are there. The options are there. There's no reason why you need to go out and announce it. And I, think that, I don't think that makes any sense. So I would have to say, if that's what we're talking about, the 43, sig, yeah, is the, is the 26. Yeah, 26 is undefeated. It, it is just a classic. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great. I love it. I have no, I, I've had that thing for, I bet I've almost had it for 20 years. I probably bought it when Jack was, well, not 20 years, maybe closer to 15 or 16. And my, mine personally is, I mean, it, it's so smooth. <laughs> it's smooth as glass. I mean, all the edges are knocked off. Uh, it's just full of gouges all over the handles where I beat it on stuff. And it has just been a workhorse. And I love it. I, have, I love it as much as I, ha I, I did when I first bought it. I've never had any regret buying it. And I have heard regret from people that have bought the 43, the narrow just because of the reasons that I outlined. So that's just my personal opinion. So take it for what it's worth, act accordingly, do what works for you.
We have a super chat from Evan Roach and new member. Welcome, Evan. Shout out to you. Glad to have you here. He says, happy Monday, 55-minute cold water plunge, Crayon Canyon, 55 minutes. Just when you think you're hard, you meet someone like this that shows you that you're not. I can't even work up the courage to go get in my river. 55 minutes. That takes tremendous focus uh, to do. My goodness. That would be a, that, that would be 50, I can't even imagine that. Goodness. Shout out to you, Evan. Congratulations. I'm glad to see such hard men are here in the, in members of the, of my, of my channel. Goodness. Incredible. Shout out to you, Evan. We have a super chat from Brother Ruddick, and Brother writes, I took your advice and turned my side hustle into a full-time work. Good job. I have my own mechanic shop and just opened an online store for the tallow soap I make. No bosses ever again. Godspeed, sir. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, I, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That, that is fantastic. You know, and I'm seeing that pop up all over around here. We just ran into a, a local guy. Uh, at the coffee shop this weekend. He, he usually comes in the same time that we do. We go in there every, every Sunday and take the sweet loaf and have coffee and a cheese Danish. And it's just, it's our ritual that we really enjoy. And he's always in there. And he did the same thing. He's an a ASC, I forget the terminology. He's a certified mechanic. And he just hung his shingle, opened up his shop and, and in his house and started a small tire business. And he's just killing it. He's all backed up. I, I know he's doing well because every time I drive by his place, he's got a bigger and bigger stack of um, tires on the side of, his biz side of his shop there. And he's expanding it because he's running out of business and he's bringing some employees in. And right there, you know, a guy that just was a working guy, just working by the hour, working at a shop, Finally had a fill, his fill, realized that, you know, he just couldn't get by with the, the wages that they were paying. It was inadequate with the price of inflation and everything going up and is out there doing great. And that's what, that's what the future is, gentlemen. I mean, that's what, you, that's what, what it, there needs to be. I just laugh. I've been watching. So, there's so many people on TikTok and on Instagram or in TikTok and, and YouTube shorts that are talking about this, that are like that are working two and three jobs and are barely getting by. And they're just so frustrated. Like everything costs so much. Eggs are seven bucks now. Gallons, five bucks a gallon. And I'm working. All I do is work. I'm working six, seven days a week and I can save no money. I'm barely covering my bills, you know, from, and, and the corp, what's so funny is that you hear this and there's, it's clearly a problem. Everyone's talking about it and there's more and more people checking out and the corporations, the, the, the ones that are running these, the, the traditional businesses, you know, and, and are thinking that everything is going to go back to normal like it did after COVID are scratching their head. They're like, huh, I can't figure out why we can't get anyone to come work for us. I can't figure out why everyone quit, keeps quitting. I can't figure this stuff out. And they're offering $13 an hour, $15 an hour. How can you possibly survive on that with no, with no possibilities of advancement? So... Young people and old people alike are coming into these organizations, these corporations, and they're looking at this, the pyramid of power, and they're looking up, and they see that the CEO is making $33 million a year or some in insane thing, and looking to, and with no chance of advancement and, and no loyalty. That's the other thing, the no loyalty. It is, uh, that model is broken, and it's just never going to be back. I, I can't even imagine the bloodbath that's going to take place 
in commercial real estate in the future. You know, commercial real estate has always been, it was, I mean, if you were going to have something to own that was going to pay you uh, good money and a reliable source of income, commercial real estate has been the thing. Because I, had a, I worked for a guy that set himself up good. He, built, he started building small strip malls. And they would be like, um, like in the suburbs, the type where you'd have like a mighty key muffler and a, you just, you know, just national chain retailers that were just perfect fit for them, like a Napa, that sort of thing. There'd be three retails in there. And he was printing money because you're talking 25-year leases, 50-year leases where that check just comes in and in and in and all that. And now with all these businesses failing, you just just in Portland alone. I, I just cannot believe it every time I go in there. I know it's bad. I, my mem- I, I go in there maybe once a month or twice a month or so. And every time I go in there, more and more stores close down. And then you look around for lease, for sale, for lease, for lease, for lease. If the prices are not coming down. I just can't imagine how long can these things, how long can it last before it completely collapses? Because there's People are not going back to those jobs, and those small companies are disappearing. It's getting to the point now where there's going to be two types of companies that can exist. Either you have to be super tiny, like a one-man shop, where you, you're not having to pay massive payroll, where you can do your own thing. Uh, you're going to have to put a lot of hours in it, but you can control it, keep small, have something niche that no one else does, like my buddy that's got the small shop, that's you know, doing really the mechanic shop, or these mega corporations. And these mega corporations, I think, to, to maintain people and to keep staff, they're gonna have to take care of them cradle to grave. They're gonna have to provide housing. They're gonna have to provide food. I mean, that's the only way folks are gonna come to do it. So the, uh, well, I wonder if we're not gonna go back to the company store model. <laughs> it's, <laughs> I, it's amazing, man. I just, I don't know what's propping it up. I don't know what's, what's keeping these real estate prices up because it, it, um, to see them all sitting empty like that, it is not a good sign. Best see to yourself, beloved, uh, and get your own thing going because you can't trust these companies to offer you a job because none of the, nothing's guaranteed anymore. We have a super chat from Brother Rudlock. Shout out to you, Brother. And Brother writes, I took your advice. Oh, sorry, I already read that. Goodness, there's a yellow thumb right there. But shout out to you. I'm proud of you. Congratulations, man. It takes courage to do that, but it's worth it. We have our friend Jamie back, a new member. Welcome. Good to see you back, Jamie. Jamie says, I was skeptical at first about the cold shower. I tried 20 seconds the first day and then three minutes ever since. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you're feeling weak, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, as I told you, I jumped in when I was, when I started the Wim Hof program, as I told you, I did, the, I, I bought the 10 week program and I've been following it to a T. I mean, I started week four yesterday. And he's recommending, you know, just start for 15 seconds. If you're feeling weak, if you feel like you can't do it, you can do 15 seconds. Get in there, turn it on so it's warm, get yourself warmed up and comfortable, and then flip it. Hard right and count, count 15 seconds. And you can do that. You know, just turn around and start with that. It is very shocking. It's a very difficult thing to do. And then flip it back over to warm and warm yourself up. You, that's an easy way to start. It's a good entry way to start. And then do that for a week. There's no rush. Your body will acclimate. You'll get to the point where you don't even feel it anymore. I was talking to one of the middlemen who did a 16 minute, 16 and a half minute cold shower. And we have receipts. He even videoed it for us. He shared that with us. But what was so funny was he did that long shower. 
he said, you know, I was going to do the 10-minute challenge, you know, that you recommended. I did the 10 minutes, and then I, would, my, I didn't feel the cold anymore. I was basically, my skin was all numb, and it didn't make any difference anyway, so I just went on. Uh, he did over 16 minutes, and then what was so funny, he ran outside and jumped into the snowbank. <laughs> it did a full snow angel without, uh, with his shorts on, which we got a pretty good kick out of. And he said he didn't feel anything. But that's the truth. You, you get to the point where you get used to it. I did my shower. I do three minutes. I did three minutes this morning. Um, I've been doing three minutes at night as well, and it's been helping my sleep. As I said last week, one of the first time in ages that I was able to go to sleep, went to sleep at about 10 o'clock, and woke up at five, and I didn't wake up one time throughout the whole night. That's incredible, right? Incredible. I'm a fan. I am a huge fan. It's been life-changing for me, and I'm hearing the same thing. I haven't heard anything negative from anyone. We have a super chat from Morris Junction. Shout out to you, Morris, and to your member. Welcome. Good to have you here. Morris writes, hi, Cody. Could you talk a bit about why you don't wear tin pants uh, in the shop anymore? Um... I have, a, I have a pair of tin pants. I don't wear tin pants anymore uh, because the last pair that I bought is completely worn out. <laughs> they only last about a year or so. Uh, and I've been working more in the shop than I did at the old place. The old place I was outside a lot. And the reason the, when I wear tin pants and the reason why I wear tin pants is because they're a lot more water resistant. Let's not say waterproof. Water resistant than regular cotton jeans. Now, Normally, if you're going to work outside, and the, you're going to wear rain gear. You know, I, when I worked outside ex, as an excavating contractor in the wintertime, we wore rain gear all the time. And there's nothing more miserable than wearing rain gear. It sweats you really bad because it's completely unbreathable. So you get, if you're working hard, you get really, really sweaty, and then that gets you damp, and it just makes for a long, miserable day. And the fatigue factor of rain gear is really horrible as well. It, it doesn't stretch very well. Now, some of the some stuff is better than others. Like you get the good stuff, like the Grunberg, that orange stuff that has a little bit of give to it, like the commercial fishermen work wear. That's the best stuff I've ever used, and that's you can actually somewhat tolerate that. But it's super expensive, and most people don't. Most people just use just the crummy heli type of stuff or Carhartt or what what have you. And it's miserable to work in because if you're in a job where you're, you know, you're bending and moving a lot, you know, it's always binding up and it just doesn't move and stretch and flex with your body. I, I do not like working in rain gear. So I started looking for an alternative when I was doing excavating. And that's when I found the tin pants because that's what the old loggers were used to use. That, that was developed. The tin pant, the history of that's really interesting. So the Filson Company in Seattle builds, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, builds a pant that's called the tin pant. They have, a, they have a single and a double tin pant. And what they did is they took heavy canvas, like 21 ounce canvas, 18 or 21 ounce canvas that was made for wall tents. And how that started was back during the, the gold rush. Two companies got started back in those days, uh, the Filson Company and the Levi's Company. Levi's started down in San Francisco. And they sprung up during, you know, the minor 49ers, 1849, right around that time when all of the, the men were coming west to make their fortune in the gold fields. Well, I believe, I'm going off memory here, I could be wrong, but I believe they, the, original tent, the original intent was to come and build tents for and sell tents and, and to become a merchant. Well, they found out that there was a tremendous need for a really tough, sturdy work pant uh, because the guys were just 
burning through the, 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 the clothing that they had, whatever that was, maybe some side of a wool or gabardine knit or something like that. But out working and prospecting, they just weren't tough enough and they were just, just shredding them. So they got the idea, the Filson Company got the idea that to take this tent canvas and to dip it in a, in a wax, you know, like a paraffin type of wax or some sort of a mixture to impregnate it uh, so that it was really pretty water resistant. And they still make the same pants today. I started wearing those probably in about 1987, I think is the first pair that I bought. I bought them in Portland at a, at a men's store that sold work clothing. And what, what I was looking for, I was, I was in, yeah, maybe 90, maybe 90 or so. I was in excavating, I was looking for an alternative to the, this horrible, that horrible rain gear. And this was before the internet and all that. And I went to the store and, and I was asking around and I found, I've, I think I maybe my granddad may have had a pair too. I may have been somewhat familiar with them and I was, just went out to look for them. I don't remember. But I ended up buying a pair and, and it was a lot of money. They were expensive. They were about $100, $120 back then. And that was when I was making you know, $10, $12 an hour. So it was a tremendous investment for me to wear. But it was a great solution because what I had now was a pant that was designed to work really well with a body that's cut well so you can, you, you know, you can sit in it, you can bend down, you can move in it, but it had a very heavy double layer reinforced cotton on the front that, that, was, um, that kept you, that breathed a little bit better than rain gear but kept you somewhat dry. So that's how I started wearing them. So if I'm gonna go out and cut firewood in the rain, I don't know why I would anymore, I don't have to do that so I don't, that's what I would wear them for. It's just not, they're not going to replace rain gear, but they're going to be, if you're having showers or you're going through the brush or bushes where there's a lot of water on the, the limbs and stuff, they'll keep you dry. Uh, they're really good for that and they're really durable and they last a long time. And I also heard, I had a couple people contact me that um, some of the special forces guys in Afghanistan uh, were wearing them over there in combat, that they found that it was a great solution. And I don't know why they chose that over um, their, their normal BDUs or what have you, but it may have been the water-resistant nature for that. So they're not suitable, really, or there's no point to wear them inside because when they're brand new, if you buy a brand new pair, they will crush you because they, they won't breathe. It takes a while. You have to wear them and break them in. They're really a, a hard break-in process. But once you break them in a little bit and get some of that wax ward off of them, they really are good for that. But I don't wear them inside for that reason. It's not raining in here. I don't need, I don't need them. Uh, the cotton breeze is so much better, so much more comfortable than they are. Uh, and that's the reason. Plus, I, I, they're, they're getting pretty worn out, and I just haven't seen, had a need to buy another pair. But that's the history of the tin pan. And they're, they're cool. Uh, if you go to the Filson site, they're still made in the U.S., or they were the last time I bought a pair. And you can get the double or the single. I believe the double is reinforced on the front. I like a double reinforced pant, offers a lot of protection and warmth, a lot of warmth in the winter time. Um, and that's, yeah, kind of the history of the tin pant. And the Levi was very similar. You know, they got started very similar uh, to that as well, building pants, heavy dungarees down in the, for the gold, the gold, the minor 49ers. Yeah, good question. We have a super chat from Yazin Bukaba. <laughs> if I pronounce that. Good to see you back. Welcome. Shout out to you. Yazin says, I live close by the sawmill. You went to in the oh you live in Holland. Okay. In the 
Zandem, Holland. I would love to see you in the summer in the Netherlands. Yeah, I did a one of I did a video. One of the most interesting things I've ever done in my life was to get a tour of a Dutch uh, windmill that had a sawmill inside. If you ever get the opportunity, it was absolutely extraordinary. I, if you go to my channel and you can search wind power or wind sawmill, it'll come up. It's, it's worth watching. It's just a short video, but it was fascinating. So back, so the Dutch, you know, the Dutch used to be, you know, before the English, they really were one of the most powerful countries in the world. They, they were very much involved in trading. And these windmills, we've seen them, these iconic windmills, they're giant. They, um, that was the industry of the day. Having one of these windmills back in the day of the Dutch, when the Dutch were the great traders, would have been the equivalent of owning like an Apple or a Microsoft. I mean, it was quite a thing to have. And the design and the engineering of them are absolutely extraordinary. So they have an area out there where the Dutch people have maintained these windmills and you can go in there and look at them. And I didn't realize how complicated they were and, and how interesting they were until I got to tour them. And they weren't just sawmills. They could, be, they could do anything. Uh, some of them, basically what they did is, is they had the structure, and then they have the giant, the four-bladed prop on there, right? You've seen it before with the, with the sheets on it. And there's on the back side is a captain's wheel. And the, the guy that would own or run the sawmill he would when he before he'd start working you know the wind is always changing directions you know just like the windmills we have today or a weather vane you know it's got to change direction so that it can be head into the wind they would go out there and i don't know if they licked their finger or what they did but they would determine the direction of the wind and they this, this giant like ship's wheel they would turn the ship's wheel and rotate the whole top of that dome of that giant windmill and and trim it right into the wind well, that would start turning a shaft. And now that thing's turning. Well, that shaft would come in through the side and they had the most clever uh, differential because they needed to change the direction of the shaft from, from horizontal to vertical. And so they have these giant wood teeth that mesh together and now they have a shaft that's running straight down a multi-story. You know, they could be three or four stories, I believe all the way down to the bottom at a bearing that they would uh, just slop in like goose grease or something, you know, just wood on wood. This is all, all everything made out of wood. So now they've got a shaft that's turning. Now they can, they can do, make it do stuff, right? And so then every floor, they would put a, clamp another differential on and then run another horizontal shaft and then that would give, that would give a shaft a turn that could run some, some sort of machine. We went into one that was, uh, was had, these big uh, timbers, like these eight by eights, just going up and down, just pulverizing. Uh, I think it was um, gyp some sort of, it was pulverizing gypsum or something for uh, industrial dyes. You know, and, that, and that's what that particular windmill made. And then another one would have, uh, the shaft would be turning giant uh, grindstones that were growing round and round, huge grindstones that were uh, milling flour. So that one windmill might be producing a wheat uh, and flour. And the one that, that um, we're talking about uh, was a sawmill. And they had, uh, imagine a cross-cut saw. They would take cross-cut saw blades and they'd have like five, four or five or six of them, put them all in a line, and these things are going up and down, vroom, vroom, like this. And they would pull, the logs would be pulled up a ramp, and those things are going up and down, all completely wind-powered. 
And it was fascinating to be inside of it because the wind is not consistent, right? So the wind has got to be, it, sometimes it's, it's going fast and sometimes it's going slow. So you would, see, you would stand there and the whole thing's vibrating and shaking and these big saw blades are going up and down, woom, woom. They would speed up. It was amazing, amazing. I got the chance to talk to a young man, well, he was probably about 40, that was uh, working in one of these mills. It was a mill that was, had a big grinding stones in there. It's an active mill, runs all the time. He's still running it and lets tourists come in there. And he was saying to me, he goes, you know, I've been working, this has been in our family for a long time. I've been working in this mill since I was a child. And my dad, uh, he worked in the mill his whole life. And my granddad worked in the mill his whole life. He goes, even now, and he was running it, but even now after like 40, 45 years of being in this mill, he said, I'll be running it and Everything is, um, you can just, you know, you just feel it. You just feel when something is, is, is working or not working. When we used to run a, a heavy equipment, I'm going to go off on a side tangent here because it's kind of apropos to the, or it's uh, germane to the conversation here. When we were used to run equipment, we found that if you take a man uh, and you put him in an excavator, for example, and you make that his machine, like, okay, so even if he's just an hourly guy, like you get a brand new uh, 2800 link belt, right? And you put an operator in it, like, okay, this is brand new. You operate it and you only. You paint his name on the side and he takes care of it and looks after it. You'll find that that machine, you're, you'll be able to get that machine, even if it's running full time, you, you'll be able to have it run productively without too much damage or breaking or any expenses up to, you know, maybe 6,000 hours or so. And st it's still in reasonably good shape. But you take a machine, that same machine, and you rotate multiple operators through it. That just whoever's on shift, you know, you just plug in new guys in there. That thing at about 2,000 hours will be almost destroyed. Because you just don't know the machine and you don't know when something's off. If you're in a machine and you're the only guy and you've had it from brand new, as soon as something starts vibrating or the hydraulic pump starts making some noises or the track motors or just don't have the power that they used to have, you're going to know immediately. You can just fit, feel it and sense that something is wrong and you're going to you, you do the maintenance, right? You, you get the service guy out there, you know, before it tears itself up, before it's ruined. But you run multiple operators in there. You know, you get a new operator in there. He doesn't realize that it's not supposed to sound like that. He doesn't realize that the track motor is weak on this side. And it just doesn't get the maintenance, just doesn't get taken care of because you just don't know. It's, it's not really anyone's fault. It's just the way that it is. Well, that's kind of the same way with this, with this mill. So he said he would be in there working, you know, and he's trimmed it and he's listening and it, you can feel the vibration it's very visceral the whole thing i mean it's there's a lot of power huge blades on there he said his grandpa will come in and immediately look at him and say something up there is wrong or go up here and check this he could just just walking in there and just standing in it from the, a lifetime of experience could tell that something wasn't right. I don't know if the wind, it, the blade wasn't trimmed properly or something needed lubrication or something was out of alignment. And here his grandson, who had also grown up this with this, I wasn't able to, to, to know that or to pick that out. And so, you know, he was very reluctant to say, you know, hey, I'm really an expert at this. You know, if you really want to know about this, you should talk to my granddad because I, it takes a lifetime uh, just to learn and just to know this machine. It was super, super fascinating. And the other thing that was kind of cool was did you know that the Dutch, you know, they wear the wooden shoes. 
They make, they make these wooden shoes out of tulip wood. I actually bought a pair when I was there. And they all wear them in, the, in the, these industrial locations. And in, in the Netherlands, a wooden shoe is actually considered, by their version of OSHA, whatever it's called, is considered a safety shoe. In, in the equivalent to a uh, to like a, a metal toed or a hard toed steel toed boot, <laughs> which I, which I thought was interesting. You know, I thought that that I, I went to a place where they were making those shoes, and it was so fascinating the process that I I ended up buying a pair. And I thought that that was just a fun thing for tourists that no one actually really wore. But I saw multiple guys wearing them that were working in the sawmill in different areas. Not everyone, not all of them, but it's it's very it's uniquely Dutch, and I thought it was quite charming. Yeah, I hope to I hope to see you Yazid. We're going to be there. Mrs. W and I and family are going to be going uh, to Amsterdam this summer. Um, I think it's going to be I don't have the dates yet. So she has the date, but I don't remember what it is. But we, we, I'm going to try to uh, I've been reaching out to Wim Hof because he's got a place there uh, and to see if um, maybe we couldn't he couldn't give us for a few hours. We could come by and and, uh, and meet him and see his place. And uh, I, I would love to. I'd love to talk to him. So if you know Wim, um, rattle his cage. See if you can get his attention, because we'd love to do that. Maybe we could even shoot some video. Shout out to you, Yasin. Thank you. I appreciate that. We have a super chat from T. Greeny 1. Thank you for your generosity. T. Greeny says, men today definitely need to strike out on their own. There is a better chance there to succeed than following the traditional route of 1099. Self-employment is the future for men. It is. Yeah, it, it is. We're about to see, I, I'm convinced if the Lord tarries, that we're about to see a lot of people, and maybe even segments of this country, going back to the way things were um, uh, many, many years ago, um, where we're going to have to be a lot more self-reliant. We're not going to be able to just get everything that we want um, at the grocery store. Uh, we're, we're already seeing that. And it would be, it seems to me, it would be a good time to start making those changes now. You know, you want to you want to be proactive. You want to be ahead of the curve before all of the masses, you know, rush into something. Most people, you know, 95% of people are not going to make any plans. They're living the hope strategy. The hope strategy is that, well, if I can just hang on here a little bit, I know I'm start, I'm going backwards here and I'm living paycheck to paycheck, but... Things are going to turn around and it'll get back the way that it was and, and everything will be good again. I wouldn't count on that. I don't see that happening. I see that I see it more and more hardships and more and more difficulties. To get yourself in a position now to do your own thing, to strike out, to slash and burn your costs. If you've got multiple cars or things that you're not using, you're making payments on, if you've got credit card debt, if you you know, if you've been living that credit lifestyle. I would extricate myself from that immediately and start thinking about what you have, what you can do uh, to do something on your own. And I, uh, it's just shocking to me. I was so proud of myself yesterday. I did not, I am honest, this is the honest to truth. I did not know that there was a Super Bowl yesterday. Was it yesterday or Saturday? Whenever it was. I, the day of it, I didn't even know. And it wasn't until yesterday I saw, saw a bunch of people complaining on social media about something that I realized, oh, I didn't realize that there was a, a Super Bowl. It, it just shocks me in this day and time with everything unraveling and so many things on the line and so, much, so many scary things ahead of us that folks would have a time, the time to be involved in that. They're still following and participating in, in the breaded circus. 
but that's what they're doing. And right there tells you all you need to know. The majority of people are just completely ignorant of what's going on. They think that you're crazy. They think that if you're doing any type of preparations or they're trying to warn folks about the dangers that are coming, uh, they'll call you a nut and a conspiracy theorist. Let them. You know, they said the same thing about us uh, that were the non-vaccinated, that, that saw that, that were free thinking enough to, to think that, you know, maybe that, that's not the best idea. Maybe, you know, maybe we should hold off on that. And now, now look, you know, that narrative has changed completely. So, and the same thing goes for those that are not getting ready and not doing their own thing. If you have a good job right now, you know, take advantage of that and, and stack as much money as you can, but just know that that could evaporate immediately. And also, you know, another thing that a lot of people are not looking at is this, um, how um, this artificial intelligence is changing the digital landscape. How it's worked in the past, if you have a website, SEO, search optimization, you know, all of that, buying Google ads. If you have a small business or an online business, you know, that's really been important. That's how you drive traffic to your business. They're, they're, everyone depends upon it. It's a pay to play type of thing and it's worked and, and people are going forward with that. Well now, with, if you look at how many people are downloading and using these chat GPX, these AIs and, and such, the search engines are all gonna be going to that. They're actually switching over right now. So all of that SEO and, and all of that advertising that you've had access to that have, has brought traffic to your business, that's evaporating. That business, that model is, is, is dead. I mean, they're, pound, they're putting it in the coffin and nailing the lid shut on that right now. It's changing everything. So that, a lot of things that have been secure, and you may not personally be involved in that, but your company might be involved in that. And the moment that that dries up, um, then that business will shut down uh, unless you have a very creative um, CEO or marketing people that can adapt to this and who knows how to adapt to it. You know, because younger people that are searching for information or anyone any, from, this, from this point forward on these search engines, you're not going to get a list with the paid ads on the top, you know, like we're all used to. You're just going to get the information. So all of this is about to change. There are entire businesses uh, that are going to evaporate. There are, there are entire professions that are, are going to evaporate. You know, you don't want to be the guy that's making buggy whips on the side of the road watching all of these newfangled automobiles come by thinking, ah, oh, that's just a fad. That'll never take, you know, <laughs> that'll never take. Because I don't know how many buggy whip manufacturers uh, are still around, but not very many. So having your own thing, your own hustle that you can get going and do uh, on your own is going to be really, really important. So as I said, stick with your job, you know, get as much out of it as you can, but be making plans that if and when that evaporates, that you're not just caught on the back foot. Uh, that, that's going to be very important. Uh, but the, the nice side about it is that if you're pro-ho and you have a basic set of skills and you can pound a nail and you can drive a truck and you can fix a broken window or a squeaky door, you know, those type of things are going to be in high demand. Uh, those, just like uh, my neighbor with the, that started the tire store, you know, he thought he was just going to be doing a tire store. But now he's doing lots of mechanic work because no one can work on their cars anymore. No, these, these men just don't have the ability. They don't, they're, they're scared of it. And he's willing to do it and take on these jobs. And now he's bringing on employees. So you don't have to be super smart or have a business degree. It's the golden era of uh, capable men right now. Uh, if you're willing just to strike out and um, just show some courage. You know, our, our fathers and grandfathers showed great courage and did amazing things. 
You just need to get your mindset around that and just stop looking at things differently. Stop, stop limiting yourself. Oh, I, all I do is accounting or all I do is web. You know, no, it, you can do anything you need to do. You just need to figure out the resources are there. You can go learn, fake it till you make it and figure it out. If you're just willing to try and to go outside of your comfort zone, you can do lots of different things. And, and for guys that have abilities and skills that can work on stuff, fix stuff, uh, you can do really well. You're going to do well in the future. There's nothing to be worried about. And you're going to control your, you're, you're going to control your fate. We have a super chat from Be Good Broadcasting and new member. Welcome. Shout out to you. He says, can you talk about the watch bands you use uh, that we caught sight of in your recent members video? I'm at work, so I'll catch your answer on the replay. Yeah, so uh, my favorite watch band is the NATO strap. And you'll see one right here. I'll, I'll show you. Can you see this here? It's going to be a little bit... Uh, Maybe a little bit hard, but I'll, I'll explain it to you. So a NATO, NATO strap was de designed by the British military. I don't know. This was World War I or World War II, somewhere around there. And they were looking for a solution uh, for a military-grade watch strap so guys wouldn't lose their watches. Now, watches were, are very important and were especially really important back then, especially for officers if they were going to coordinate any sort of uh, an attack. You know, we don't have cell phones. They didn't have cell phones, electronics. So if you were out of communication, which was often the case, and you needed to, to coordinate some sort of an attack or support in some way, your watch was in a critical piece of equipment. And to lose something like this was just not an option. The vulnerable portion of a, of a watch is, is the spring pins. This is a little Hamilton khaki military watch. This was, is not what they had, but it's, it's based on it and very similar, a reproduction of what U.S. and a lot of British troops would have had. These spring clips uh, are little metal bars that, press that spread out between the lugs and then you, it, you attach the, the watch strap to. These are vulnerable, and if one of those breaks, you lose your watch. I lost uh, a $2,000 watch that I was a graduation present uh, on a wildland fire for that reason, uh, because of the, that clip broke. And I have no idea whatever happened to it or where it went. So to prevent that from happening, the British invented the NATO strap. This is it right here. It has um, two pieces of material on it, and it's got a, a D-ring. I don't know if you can see that or not. Or not a D-ring, but a little ring on there. And the design is brilliant. So what they came up with is you take your, your watch and you weave it through the first pin, like this here. You see that? Did I do it right? Oh, no, I got it back. Yeah, I did it right. And then you weave it through the second pin here. And then you go through the D-ring, or this, the metal ring. That's how you put the watch on it, right? Why? Why is that important? Well, a couple different reasons. If one of those spring pins breaks... Let's say this one breaks here, you still have your watch. You see? It'll flop, but if that breaks, it gives you a backup. You're never going to lose that watch. So right there, had I had one of these, I wouldn't have lost my graduation watch, uh, and I'd probably still have it today. So there's that reason right there. The second thing is that if you're, if you're in a very cold environment and you're having like large watches, like this big chunk this marathon here the SAR 
is that's a lot of metal and it's really cold on your wrist. You would never get it warmed up. It's just constantly freezing your wrist and you've got metal on your soft skin right there. And that's not very desirable. So the NATO strap gives you a double layer of canvas or fabric uh, that insulates you. It stands that wash off a little bit and you have, you know, you don't have that cold metal on your wrist. Also, they're super adjustable. You know, they're, they're, they have a long tail on them. So if you want to put something, let's say cold weather, and you need your watch, you can strap that on over clothing because it's so long. It gives you got enough of a tail on there that you can do that. And I do that with, you know, like I, I use um, like some of my watches that I'll, I have, uh, Garmin's, uh, I like to keep them on the outside, like if I'm dirt biking or snow biking. I don't want to have to take a glove off and all that stuff. So a NATO strap's perfect like that. You can strap it over your coat and it's plenty long and you can have that outside and you can see it. So it's a really, really brilliant design and not to mention they're cheap, they're really affordable. You know, a NATO strap's gonna cost you anywhere from $10 to $20 and you can get them on all different colors and they're, they're kind of fun. You, you, you could, if you have a watch that you've gotten a little bit tired of, uh, getting a new fresh NATO strap on it in a fun color is kind of brings a little, breathes a little new life into a watch. Um, I think it's my favorite watch band. They're really, really nice, um, and they're fun. When you're ordering them, just be careful to realize that there are different widths. There's anywhere from like 18 to 22 millimeters. So you have to measure the distance between your lugs. The lugs are the lugs that stick out on, on the watch face here. If you don't have the ability to measure, don't have a metric tape or anything, uh, just go online, put your watch model in, and just do a search. You know, there's a ton of watch dudes out there that'll tell you what you need. And just order one accordingly, and then you'll have the right one. Uh, but that's the NATO strap. Big, big fan of that. Uh, they're my favorite watch bands. Yeah, good question. I love the NATO strap. A NATO strap, a green NATO strap, army green, on a military style, like a Hamilton, like this is a Hamilton khaki. This is a, not an automatic, it's a wind, wind watch. Is, um, looks good with everything. Not, it's not super expensive. You can probably buy a Hamilton, uh, a manual Hamilton for about maybe $150, $125 or so. Add a NATO strap for an extra 20, and that's really nice. That's a very handsome combination there. It looks good with anything. Yeah, good question. Daniel Hetzler, welcome, our newest member. Shout out to you. Glad to have you here. I shot a members, some members only content for you guys this, guys this morning that will be uploaded right after the live stream. I did a full walk around of my night vision setup with my carbon helmet. So. <laughs> if that's interesting to you, uh, that's there for the members. So I'll have that up. So look for that. Just a little thank you. That's something that I've had that in the background in my closet and it keeps showing up and people asking me, hey, could you, could you show us what that is and what, tell us about what's the night vision and such. And so that's coming up. But welcome, Daniel. We have a super chat from Wardo and new member. Welcome, Wardo. And Wardo writes, hey, Cody, have you have a younger three-year-old daughter. What is your opinion on balance, learning tradcon women versus useful manly skills, changing oil, tools, etc.? No, they're, they're, not, they're not mutually exclusive. Uh, they're the same thing. Trad, a tradcon woman is, as I used to call before Mrs. W., before tradcon woman was in our vocabulary, I used to call her an Oregon Trail woman. Because 
um, she has the skills. Oregon Trail woman needed to have lots of skills. Not only did she know how to, need to know how to shoot, she needed to know how to milk a cow. She needed to know how to butcher game. She knew, needed to know how to fix a leaky roof, all those things, right? So how it was back in the frontier days, <laughs> the men really had it figured out. I, we were reading about, um, I think it was Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone maybe, or Davy Crockett, one of those early explorers, right? And so we were, when Jack was homeschooling, you know, we were going through uh, these old books. We, we always like the classics. The new, new literature and the new history uh, is not suitable for education, nor is it true. So the old stuff is still reliable. So we were going through some of the old journals and reading about this. It was so funny. So he, let's, we'll call him Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, whatever, Daniel. He moved, uh, started pushing west. And how they would do it at the time is they would uh, either have wagon and horseback, sometimes oxen, different things, right? We all played Oregon Trail, you know, the drill. And they would go a little, little ways, and then they would set up, set up a small homestead, build a very small, low-roofed, one-room log cabin, you know, because everything had to be made by hand, so you weren't building a big edifice, right? Everything was very difficult, so just the minimum. So these guys had their families in tow, little kids, their wives and stuff, so they'd build the cabin, Low roof, you have to duck to get in, put some moss on the roof and everything in Indian country. But have you know, you know, don't forget that. And then they would get their family put in there, get them kind of set up, some firewood cut and, and such. And then they'd say, well, we are going to go uh, west and we're going to start exploring. Uh, we'll be back in a couple years. <laughs> so when, when Mrs. W, when I heard that, I thought, Man, that sounds like a good way to go. You, you, build, you get your family set up and, and your family started. You get them in a house and then you take off and you go hunting for two years <laughs> while your wife stays home and has to do everything, which might mean defending her children and herself from marauding bands of natives or uh, wild animals. You know, gr grizzlies were a real problem back in those days. They even had the, what they called the silver grizzlies, which are extinct now, but they were incredibly vicious. They would hunt a man down like a polar bear. And so that was what Oregon Trail Woman was like, man. She, and she didn't think twice about it. Um, Mrs. D w took a dim view on that, didn't think that that was quite as uh, near as much fun for the women as it was for the men, but I thought that it was a pretty good system, for, actually. So, and they were Tradcon women, right? So Tradcon woman uh, can be a tomboy, I guess, to use the, the modern terms, and is going to have to be, to be honest with you. I have a good friend um, that um, has a daughter. Uh, she's older now. Um, but what's interesting is that I, when I was spending some, when, before we moved, I spent more time with him, and I was, over his, was with him one time. And she called. You know, she's probably like 18 or so. And in the, the time when she's trying to find a suitable man and a husband and wants to start a family, etc. And she and I, I, I overheard the conversation. And he, he had raised her to do everything, just like his son. She knew how to do everything. She knew how to weld. He had made her work on her own car. And, and she could do all those things. Construction, you know, everything was really, really capable, really, really hands-on. Basic plumbing, you know, all those things that, that we teach our boys. And she had that skill set because her father insisted upon it. And in this phone call that I overheard, she was just exasperated and at her wit's end because of how useless 
these young boys were that she was trying to date and find, trying to find a suitable man. And in the conversation that took place, she was at her boyfriend or somebody at, at his house and his toilet was leaking. You know, we know how easy that is to fix, right? I mean, there's only a couple things it can be. You go down to the hardware store. If you don't, can't fix it with what you have on hand, you know, it's at most a five-minute job. Well, he was completely beyond it, you know, and he, could, he was wringing his hands and wouldn't even take the lid off to look at it. You know, and she, that was it for her. When she called her dad and was venting, like, I just can't, I can't even imagine this. Like, how could I possibly marry a man that is so useless? How could I possibly even, even respect someone that has no skill set, that, that, that knows less than I do as a girl? And that was a huge, and that was a long time ago. You know, that was 10, 10 years ago. And it's worse, it's worse now. So, I mean, you almost, it's almost gonna be a necessity um, if you want to prepare your children to go out into this cruel, mean world and your girls alike for them to have these basic skills because it's not a given anymore that they can rely upon a husband or a man to do these things. Now, I'm not saying that a man, that he's a bad man because he doesn't know these things. It's not his fault if he didn't, if his mother was a 304 and didn't lock down a man and decided she wanted to be strong and independent and raise a, raise a boy and without the ability or skill set to teach him anything. It's not his fault. What's he supposed to do without a, without a father in the house? And even how many of them with fathers in the houses don't spend time with him and are not involved in, in teaching them and don't know anything themselves? So I would say to answer your question that, yeah, I will, me personally, the sweet loaf already shows the aptitude uh, she has, you know, she has that, that she has more of a, a, a male type of mind. She's more analytical. She's, she's really, in, you know, he, good with math and such, you know, is, is more of that, shows those, more of those tomboy characteristics. And all she wants to do is to spend time out in the shop. You know, she wants to be out here and she's interested in tools more so than Jack was. Jack was never really into, the, into those things. So I told Mrs. W, I mean, she, She's going to be out here doing everything. She'll change the oil on her own cars. I will, she'll be, I imagine that she's going to want to do it, and that's going to make it easier for me. Um, I'm going to teach her everything that she knows to do that. Not because I want her to be strong and independent and don't need no man. You know, I don't, I don't want to stomp on the femininity. I want to, we always definitely want to push that. It's important for a girl to be a girl and to maintain that femininity. But it's also in this coming time, this difficult time, Man, we don't want to send our children out unprepared. She's going to have to be able to be able to do things. She's going to have to be, to be tradcon. You know, you have to bring something to the table, and uh, that's the way, that's why I'm looking at it. So I, I don't see that that's a conflict at all. Tradcon woman versus manly skills, changing oil tools, etc. Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't distinguish. I would treat them both the same. I would, the same things that I insisted Jack do, you know, if he's going to ride a bike and his chain falls off, I'm not, I'll help him put it back on, but he needs to learn how to do it. He needs to learn how to do it himself, and she will be the same way, 100%. 100%, yeah, good question, though. Mr. Mason, shout out to you. Mr. Mason says, took my first cold shower today and made it about 45 seconds, but I've already committed tomorrow. I'm not getting out till that three-minute timer goes off. Good for you. Yeah. And you know, it's a head game. You have to decide. You have to resolve. This is happening. And I still have to do that. Even after, it's coming up on five weeks now. 
Yeah, so we're what, 25, this is live stream number 25, and the cold showers have paralleled that, started them at the same time, but I, do the, but I don't do the live stream on the weekend, so I'm actually, yeah, coming up on week five, or into week five, through week five, and the cold showers. And the longest one I've done is 10 minutes. I still don't like them. I still, it's hard. It's a mental game. Uh, you know, I start d just to do it, but I just, I tell myself, you know, this is happening. This is happening. This is, this is what we're doing. And, and did you just resolve to do it? That's what we're doing. This is what we do. We, we wake up in the morning. We brush our teeth. We take three-minute cold showers. We eat our breakfast. This is what we do. This is, this is our lifestyle now. And, uh, and you just, just resolve to do it. I, I get it. It'll get easier. Easier. You know, and, and I'll tell you, 45 seconds is no small thing. And really, 45 seconds is almost as hard for your first shower as three minutes. Because about the 45 second mark is kind of when you, it starts to, you, know, you start to numb up a little bit. But shout out to you. That's, that's a, still a good accomplishment. So don't, don't worry about it. But tomorrow, you can do three minutes. You can do three minutes. Let us know how that goes. We have a super chat from Shane Johnstone. Shout out to you, Shane. Is it Shane or Shaney? Shane, I recently lost my job to headcount cuts. Not sure I want to continue with my career. Considering YouTube to share my hobby and restoring vintage American-made tools, any advice or thoughts? You should start a YouTube channel to share your, if you have a particular passion for something. But I would not uh, go into it with the idea that you're going to make a career out of it. If it could happen, you could make it happen, but you're going to have to put 10 years in. 10 years uh, to really, uh, to be honest with you, you know, maybe five. If you, if, you down, if you uploaded every single day and made that your life mission, if you could maintain that intensity. But just five, six, seven years before you, uh, before you see enough return, most likely, unless you have some sort of something, a really extraordinary break or a really extraordinary topic or personality or skill set that blows up early and that's possible but that's very very rare it's like winning the lottery so just go into it don't go into it with the idea that I'm gonna get rich off this in a year because that's not gonna happen um, unless unless a miracle <laughs> unless you're the recipient of a miracle now I'm not discouraging you from doing it just go into it like I'm gonna sh I'm gonna this is gonna be I'm doing this for love I'm doing this for the love of, of of building a community, finding fellow like-minded people, uh, to, just to be able to share the things that I like. You know, that's well worth doing it, and, and you should do it. That content is, is good and it's important to have right now. And if you are able to be consistent and you maintain and, and keep your passion and, and you make good content, good audio is really important, good lighting is really important, be brief, don't waste people's time. You know, that's the main thing. Um, then that's the recipe for success. You'll, you can get monetized and you can start seeing things come in. You might supplement it first and maybe you can turn it into a business. But I would not go into it. If you go into it like that, that I'm not going to go into it because I'm just pursuing a passion or a love. I'm going into it to make money. You'll burn out. It's, it's too difficult. It takes too much commitment um, for something you're not 1,000% committed to. That's why the content is critical. If you want to be in it for the long haul, you need to build your channel or structure it in a way where you can pursue your interests. And do, do know that your interests will change. So don't lock yourself down with one particular genre, whether that be your name or title or the branding or what, however you start marketing yourself. Don't just be, you know, I'm the fishing guy. 
because uh, it will you be into fishing in 10 years you know maybe maybe not do you, in how much fishing can you do so structure it in a way where you can easily follow your passions and if you change and want to go a different direction that you can go that route that that's important so just follow the things that you're into whatever you're excited about in life like if you if you're by yourself let's say you have a family and everyone's gone you know for the weekend and you have no oversight and you can do anything you want to where do you find yourself spending your time are you playing video games then video game channel might be best for you. Are you out in your shop working on motorcycles? Well, a mechanics, tool, motorcycle, shop type of deal is what you need to be into. Because you're, making your content will be a joy, and you'll want to do it, and you'll think about it all the time. And all your spare time, you know, where your heart is, is where, if you want to know where your heart is, it's where you spend your time. And that's what you should build your channel around. So once you determine that, <clears throat> Audio, audio, audio. Clean audio is, is the most important thing. If you don't have clean audio, and you'll, you guys will agree, if you log on to something that has a good thumbnail and interesting topic and is just what you're looking for and the audio is trash or you can't hear very well or it's annoying or there's noise in the background, it's gone, man. Nobody can stand that. You can have mediocre camera. You can shoot with your iPhone and, and have good audio and the stuff will be dynamite. That's the most important thing. The other is be very brief and get to the point. Don't waste people's time with intros. Intros are so uh, five years ago. You know, we all did them. I still see people putting up 90-second intros where they're still showing music and clips from old videos. Like, that is dead, man. You are, if, you're, <coughs> if you're doing that, people are gone before the intro is even finished. Start it. Immediately tell people what they're going to see. In today's video, I'm going to show you thus and so, and then get to it. Get to it, cover it, don't waste people's time, get, get the information out there, tell them, you know, don't be misleading, tell them what they're going to get, tell them what they're going to see, and then just make it best you can. Good lighting, good audio, your enthusiasm and your passion is more important than your content. Like you guys, I follow a lot of content creators that do stuff and make stuff that I'll never do. I don't have interest in it. But they're so excited and so passionate about it that I enjoy watching it. Enthusiasm breeds, breeds enthusiasm. That's the advice I'd give you. You can do it. Just go into it for love. And if the money comes, it comes. Miss Beth Grant DeRoos, three-year member. One of our foundational members. Welcome, Beth. It's always good to see you here. Beth says, I buy local and support local small businesses who grow quality food and make and sell quality items. Yeah, what a blessing it is to be able to do that. Another, another reason why to move out to the country because it gives you access to this. Beloved, I cannot tell you how toxic and poisonous your food has become from these major, these foods that you've always grown up with. It is the vegetable oils, the seed oils, the high, high fructose corn syrup, even, and they're deceitful. Labels and things, you know, things that look really natural. Just go look at a box of Jiffy cornbread. Cornbread should have, Mrs. W makes cornbread from scratch. Miss, Mrs. W cooks most things from whole foods. There's four ingredients in cornbread. Next time you're at the grocery store, go look at the Jiffy cornbread recipe that you've been eating your whole life. I grew up with it. It is poison. Poison. I was talking to a couple of the middlemen and I, we had a 
we had a little kind of a strategy call last night that we're working on some different things. And, and before we started our strategy session, this topic came up. And, and one of the middlemen made the, the very insightful point of, you know, what they're doing, the powers that be, it's not necessarily one single thing that is destroying you, that is dragging you down, that is keeping you, keeping you down, keeping your intellect down, keeping you stupid and in the dark. It's a, it's a whole bunch of little things that, that add up and contribute. It's the poison in the air. It's the poison in the water. You know the chlorine, the, the, the chlorine smell from some, if you smell chlorine in your tap water, like you may think, well, I drink filtered water. I drink bottled water. Yeah, I can smell the chlorine. You know, they do that, do that to, to keep out giardia and organisms and stuff, and that's a necessary evil. You hear that all the time. Do you know that you're being gassed every time you get in your shower? Do you know that that hot water mixed with that chlorine turns into a, a gas that you breathe in every single day that is destroying your body, destroying your life? You know, it's, it's so many things. It's, it's the food. It's the, what they spray in the air. It, it's the, uh, it, it's the, the dyes in the clothing. One of the most toxic things that you have in your house right now is your laundry detergent. And people just use it every single day. Since I started doing the Wim Hof breathing method and the cold showers, my senses have been extremely heightened, especially my sense of my ability to concentrate and my ability, my sense of smell is super, super keen now. Now, I've never liked uh, anything with scents. The, the entire time we've been married, I've, I've demanded Mrs. W, whatever she buys, whether it be washing detergents or household cleaning items, uh, anything like that, that we know what it is. We know what the ingredients are, and it's as close to natural as you can get. And no scents, no, no, no perfumes, no, no scents, no fabric softeners, none of that garbage. I, cannot, I, can't, I couldn't stand it before. Well, now since I've been doing the cold showers and the Wim Hof breathing me method, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to be around people that its clothing is washed in these poisons. And you're wearing these, beloved. And what's the, most, what's the biggest organ in your body? It's your skin. It's your skin. All these toxic dyes that are coming. Who knows what China's putting in the clothing that you're wearing? This, this cheap clothing. Who knows? Who knows what is? Look at what they've done to the baby formulas. Look at what they're putting melamine in different things. They're putting plastic beads in rice. Your toothbrush is poisoning you. Where do you think all the plastic's going from your toothbrush? You're eating it. The Teflon pans, etc., etc., etc. All these things are just... Hammer, hammer, hammer. You try to get up, you try to get up, you try to get healthy, you try to lose weight. Hammer, hammer, hammer. It's a relentless onslaught against you and your family members. I was in ignorance about it too. I didn't know. But there's no excuse not to know now. Right now I'm warning you. You need to look into this. You don't, if you're in the evening on your computer, rather than watching Netflix or watching stupid sports ball, Get on there and educate yourself about this. Look at the things that you're putting on your body. Look at the things that you're feeding your family. Look at the stuff you're spraying. Like, can you imagine, like, like I remember growing up, my, we always had animals, like, you know, dogs and different things. And you, sometimes you have flea problems. I remember my parents would go, it's like, well, we have to leave the house for a couple hours because we got the bug bombs. We got to put the bug bombs in the house. Now, if you don't know what that is, it was an aerosol can Goodness, I can't even believe it. An aerosol can that you would sit one in every room and you would trigger it 
and then you'd hold your breath and run outside and it would fumigate the whole house in one in every room and this was to kill the bugs right and then you'd leave for a couple hours and until the toxins were gone and then you'd come back to the house like they were gone now they're in the carpet and your kids are rolling around on the carpet dropping food on the floor and eating it now it's in your bedding now it's in your clothing you have basically just turned your whole house into a contaminated superfund and then something smells bad or something and my mom would run around with Lysol or air freshener. What's air freshener? Is it freshening in the air? Are we, why don't, why, why, the boomers are the worst. How about opening a window? How about not contaminating your home with spray air freshener? Good grief. I, I don't even know how we survived it. And then they made us, made us drink fluoride, stand up like nice little slaves in public school when I'm three years old and drink fluoride. You know what fluoride does? Fluoride destroys your pituitary gland. Why do you need your pituitary gland? That's the spiritual part of your brain. That's how you connect to God. It calcifies it. Basically puts a hard crust on it and diminishes your ability to connect with God. This is how insidious these people are. You think they're doing it for your health? You think that they're worried? You think the government's worried about your teeth? Beloved, It makes me angry. So, it's hard to get away from it all, but moving to the country, like just to piggyback on what Beth said, is important because it helps you get closer to the source of, of the things that you require, primarily food and water. You know, I can't tell you, I cannot tell you the peace of mind that comes from, I drink water out of stainless steel, canteen. I drink three of these a day. Probably about 38 ounces in there. I'm guessing. 32, 38 ounces, something like that. Oh, 32, I'm sorry, 32 ounces. Knowing where my water comes from, that no one hasn't been in a treatment plant. Speaking of water, you know, coming back from a background of someone who's worked in that industry, I used to put in water mains and, and work somewhat with the decontamination of that on the gross level. But do you know, do you think that there's, if you put a hundred million women on birth control who are peeing that into the water system, which goes round and round, you know, the water that goes into the sewer, if you live in the cities, is, it goes through a treatment plant where they treat it. You know, they don't treat for any of the estrogen. That's not even a consideration. So all of the estrogen from a hundred million women on birth control is in your water system. That's coming back around, that's in your tap if you're drinking these things. Is there any wonder why we have a problem with masculinity? You know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, but some people say that that's a huge problem and becoming more of a problem. It only stands to reason, right? We're seeing it with animals. It's even fact, affecting the sex of animals as the runoff of all this estrogen goes into the water system. Now all this you're ingesting, all of this you're feeding your children and you, you don't know about it. Moving out to the country uh, cuts off a lot of those problems. As I said, I cannot tell you the peace of mind that comes from when I fill this from my tap, knowing that it comes from my own well, 200 feet under the ground, up in the mountains, you know, above all of the ability, and none of that stuff is rushing uphill, coming down filtered through a hundred miles of volcanic rock and natural sand and full of minerals and just 
the health benefits of this alone are incalculable. The chickens, the meat birds, the eggs that we, we buy, 200 yards right, across, right over there across the river, raised by an organic, good Christian family that we know. We know what they feed them. They take care of their animals. The beef, same thing. The cheese. You know, we don't have everything up here, but the things that we do have, the staples, we know where they come from and we know what's in them. And all this stuff, all this stuff is important, beloved. And as the food supply becomes under, you know, becomes under more and more, is more and more strained, um, it's going to get, it's, it's, it's scary. Why the, why the Christian church has not, does not see the importance of proper nutrition, that that goes right along with spiritualism, uh, is beyond me. Some do, some have a few of them, but most of them don't. I don't know how you could separate the two. <coughs> we have a super chat from Gnostic Academy. Shout out to you, Gnostic. Thank you for your generosity. Gnostic says, we live off-grid, no running water toilet, near Wisco UP border. Shout out to the UP. We use a pump to take showers, no hot water. Been doing ice-cold showers for a year and a half. Goodness. Best thing ever. Thank you for everything. Yeah. Gnostic Academy, that's what winning looks like. Yeah, I'm realizing that too. You know, I was, we had, uh, we had some, some of our neighbors over, we had three families over uh, Saturday, Sabbath evening, Saturday night, for games and such. And one of, the, one of my friends works for, um, he's, a, he's, see, I don't want to rat him out or anything, but he, he, works, he, he works under, for, um, his job is to deliver huge power over transmission lines uh, down to California and is very intimate with our power grid and power system. And we had a very, very illuminating conversation about the vulnerabilities uh, and the fragile nature of it um, and how stressed it is and how it's not being maintained um, and that one small hiccup could be catastrophic. And it was very, very insightful to me. And, you know, he lives down the road from me and is a, is he, you know, he's in our, in our group of, of, the, of the war band, right? And he made the comment that, you know, if we were no longer able to produce power, uh, and we had to rely upon our own wits and, and go back to 1920, it wouldn't be the worst thing. You know, and I have to say that he's right, you know. But with that being said, it wouldn't be the worst fa- thing for those of us that have made the preparations and geographically made preparations um, so that if and when a situation like this happened, that you weren't completely screwed or fighting for your life every night. Can you imagine in a situation like this, and I didn't, you know, after talking to him and hearing someone from the inside, um, I knew it was bad, but I had no idea of how fragile it was. He told me there are particular components in the the system that if someone, some crazy person were to shoot at them, that they wouldn't be able to 
to replace them for over two years, if at all, um, that can't even be produced in this country. And, uh, yeah. I, I, it, Mama, it's not Friday. It's not Friday. It's very concerning. So another reason you know, to get into a rural location or around like-minded people was, I think this is more of a reality than, than we can expect or than, than we may anticipate. To be in that jungle with that, so many people uh, competing for resources is a terrifying thought. We have a super chat from our friend, Mr. Jason Barr, and to your member. Shout out to you. Thank you for your generosity, Jason. Jason writes, on a scale of 8 through 10, how pro-ho pro are you feeling today? Well, I feel like a 10. <laughs> I feel like a 10. No, I feel good. I, I, I feel good. I, uh, I'm starting to realize the importance of, um, I think I feel so good today because I spent so much time yesterday out in the sunshine. I'm starting to, you know, we talked about this with uh, the, the middlemen and I were discussing this, the importance of being outside. You know, one of them said yesterday, said, you know, when you first started talking about all this grounding nonsense, you know, and taking your shoes off and, and such, he goes, I thought that you would really went over the deep end, that, that this was some crazy, hippy-dippy um, nonsense. He goes, but to, you know, but now I've looked into it a little bit and are experiencing the benefits myself that there is something to, to that. And yesterday, and I've been, been contemplating, you know, it's easy, it's, it's incredibly, I, I got to thinking when we were talking about grounding and the importance of just having sunshine on your face and, and being out in the sun and, and the vitamin C and everything that comes from that, how long it's been since I'd actually done that. In winter, you know, with the jobs that we have in wintertime now, if you don't work outside, you can go from get out of bed, you're in your house, you go directly into your car, tinted windows, you know, all of the, the coatings and everything on the windows, even sunglasses. And the gla I buy glasses now that have special coatings that do not allow, you know, all the spectrums of the sun to come in through your eyes that shield you from that. You know, I wonder, is all, are sunglasses even um, ne a negative a harmful thing for your health. You know, I, I don't know. And then you go into, you know, I come into the shop where there are no windows and then back into the house and, you know, uh, you know, you, you don't, you're not spent, if it's raining outside, you're not out there. You can go, it could be raining here or snowing for a week or 10 days in a row and you don't, you really do go outside. I started making a point after yesterday, like I felt so good after being in that sunshine and just being out and having my feet in the dirt that, um, I'm going to make a point to make sure going outside every day. So I think I'm feeling so good why I give myself a 10 is because I was, the sweet loaf and I did a, a long one-wheel ride, and then I did a second one with Jack, and we were out in the sun. And, yeah, I think just being, just being connected to the land is, is more important than, than anything else. Just get outside and away from everything that's man-made. I, last year, my, my, favorite thing, my favorite thing to do last summer, and I... Found, I found myself doing whenever I had some spare time was to get on my moto, my dirt bike, my 300. Got done with work and everything was wrapped up and I had a window. I was gone up, up north, just exploring, exploring up on the roads around Fuji and trails and just trying. I, I, I picked myself a thing on the map, like a waterfall or a high lake or something like that. And I use Gaia. It's a really good app on your phone that you can use. I use all that for all my navigation. And there's an incredible feature that you just touch it. And it does a route for you. Uh, and it's all back roads and sometimes single track and all that. And it's really fun. So I make these loops and I do these things and I know the time. So if I have an hour or two hours, I, can, I have all these routes that I plan 
oh, I, this is my hour and 15 minute route. I know I can do this. I'll do it forward, then do it backwards, and then pick, pick another one, right? Well, in so doing, I found myself exploring out there and finding these uh, beautiful old growth Douglas fir forests that were ancient, like um, trees that are 800, 900 years old, you know, almost 300, I mean, just giant. Some of these things are eight, nine feet at the bowl, huge, huge. There's something about that environment, those forests that's different than any place I've ever been. You can feel it. Like just talking about it right now gives me, just gives me my whole body just goosebumps. Where I would come into some of these forests and you know, you're really disconnected with the motorcycle. It's noisy and you got the earplugs and all that. But whenever I'd find them, I want, I'd like to get off and explore a little bit. I, I pull over and it's remote. I mean, there's no one around here. They're, these are old logging roads that have been overgrown. Sometimes I have to take a saw, keep a saw, like a silky uh, strapped on a scabbard to my front fork and I'm cutting trees you know, get through. I've been really exploring new places where people just don't go. And I've been finding some of these old forests up there that are so ancient. Take off, I get up there and I take off my motorcycle boots and I take off my helmet and I just walk out in the midst of them, find some beautiful place. There's usually a little stream or something by there or a little brook of water or a small lake and sit down there in the midst of those giant trees and you can feel a presence. You can feel something that I've never experienced before that, I don't know, this may sound like some hippy-dippy nonsense to you, but it, there is something about it. There's something that just feeds the soul that I just feel like I just want to go back to, want to go back to, that just delivers me from all of this, this, this horribleness of, of Western culture and all of the things that we've created, these houses and asphalt, and there's something about it. I, mean, I just, I cannot wait for spring, as much as I enjoy the snow biking and such, but I can't wait for spring, because I'm going to be, when I, my goal is that I'm going to be getting up early, I don't care if it's four o'clock, and I'm going to be head, heading up there, and I'll be doing my cold, my cold showers I'll be doing up there in the streams and I'll be doing my breathing and Wim Hof my exercising and all that I'm going to find some place up there that I can get up there within 30 minutes I already know the spot and do it in the midst of that is that environment it just you have the ability to just detach from all of the cares of the life and the world and just sit there and to be at peace uh, just have a calm and peaceful mind for a short short time is I mean how do you how do you even get that with the chaos that we have around us it's uh, it's incredible those of you that come out here, I hope to take you up and show you some of these things. It's, it's very special. There's something to it. There's something to it. There's more going on behind the scenes that meets the eye, and God's opening the, His people's eyes to this just little bit by little bit, more and more all the time. Thank you, Jason. We have a super chat from T. Greeny One. Shout out to you, T. Greeny. T. Greeny writes, For young men, find industries that interest you, that have shortages of quality people, but there is a high demand for. Then build, build skills towards it. Doesn't help to secure, doing this help secure success and put you in a strong negotiating position. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Find the industry that you like. And I've been saying the same thing. Find the industry that you like. You don't even have to narrow it down. You like, maybe you wanna get into pipe fitting, welding, plumbing, whatever that may be. Find out who the businesses are that are doing it in your area and go talk to them. Go talk to them. You know, you, 
people love to have their to be have their opinions asked. And if they, you take a guy that's got an electrical shop, as I've said this many times. Obviously, he started that business because he has a passion for it. He enjoys it. He's been doing it his whole life. If it's his business, it's, it's as important to him as a, as a child is. Those of us who have businesses understand this. It provides for our family. It puts food on our table, puts a roof over our head. It's important. You know, we care about it. And to have someone that shares in this care, and shares and understands this, you know, they're willing to talk to you. And it's, it's rare, someone that's not just there for a paycheck. If you were to go to a, a person like this, is it, anyone, if I had one of these businesses, I don't care if a 50-year-old came and said, you know, I've been working by the hour and I lost my job, but I've, I've always wanted to do this. Can you tell me if you were going to go back and do it as a young man, you know, what would you do right now? What's in demand? What, 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 what's, what's being, who's making the most money? What, is, what positions are hardest to fill? And make yourself put, make, create yourself in that role. You know, most of these things you, you should be able to do to have a basic understanding or get a basic certificate, whether that be journeyman, residential electrician, you know, inside of 48 months, that's two years. Two years could change your life and you could completely change your career and be doing something where you're making 80K. Do you have two years? Can you put your life on hold? Can you make some sacrifices? Can you eat beans and rice for two years? Can you work deliver pizzas or drive Uber at night in addition to your other jobs? Can you do whatever you have to do and just crush it until you can get this going to school at night? You know, I've done that. When I made the decision to get out of construction and get in, wanted to become a firefighter, I didn't have any qualifications and I was somewhat dismayed of how much work was going to be ahead of me. I thought that I could come, go out of construction and just go right into fire. Well, that wasn't the case. It was so competitive that I realized that I had to have my EMT. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll go get my EMT. You know, no, no problem. Well, I go to the community college and they said, oh, you don't have any college? Well, you can't enroll in the EMT program until you uh, get your prerequisites. Well, what's a prerequisite? <laughs> I was not a scholar. I didn't even know what that meant. Oh, well, you have to have basic math and you have to have basic uh, writing and, and, and this. Oh, I tore my guts out. I was already like, I'm going to be a firefighter now. I hate construction. I'm done with it. Well, now I have to spend a year or year and a half of going to math class, Pre prerequisites. Well, if that's what I have to do, that's what I had to do. So I stayed in construction, and it was miserable. Had to work full-time, six, seven days a week construction. I went to school at night, rode the bus, rode, went to night school, school on the weekends, math 101. That's what I did, man. As an, as an adult, 30 years old, 32 years old, I'm, I'm in community college taking math 101, writing 101, whatever it was, basic entry level with all these 14 or 15, 16 year old kids. You think that was easy to do? And riding the bus. Got home at midnight and I did that and I did it, I did it for a long time. Knocked it out, got the prerequisites, studied, worked. Got into EMT. You know, that was another three semesters, you know, to, to do that. But I did what I had to do so that I could do what I wanted to do. And that meant working all the time and going to school and coming home, getting home at 1230 at night. So that's what you got to do. But can you do that for, for two years? I did it for two years. And at the end of the two years, I was able to get the job that I wanted. How bad do you want it? Do you want it? get into a different field. If you want to change careers, 
and you want to do something completely different that you know nothing about. And I didn't know anything about going to college, and I didn't know anything about EMT or, or medical stuff. knew nothing about it. Actually, I grew up in a Christian cult that forbid us to go into the hospital. I didn't, had never even been to one, never had a shot. That's what you got to do. But in 48 months, you could make a, a 180, a complete 90, into a vocation and have your whole life changed. But you're going to have to work at it. We have a super chat. Shout out to you, T. Greeny. Yeah, he's right. He's right. We have a super chat from Elliot Boyer. Shout out to you, Elliot. Elliot writes, I've been doing five-minute soaks in our frozen creek. I can usually open up the hole with my boots as long as I do it every day. Yeah. There's, there are obviously some of you are harder men than I am. Man, that... that just the thought of going down there and doing it. You know, maybe I need, to, I, you know, I need to start sometimes to get your mind in the right direction. You, we always are afraid of things we don't understand. If we don't know it or we don't know what to expect, we build up in our mind. We make it, it becomes a giant. It becomes so formidable that it's, it, it's an obstacle that you can't, you can't overcome, even though it's not. I, I've been talking about doing the same thing. I've got a half a mile of frigid, icy, frozen river riverfront on our northern property border. Maybe I just need to get down there, go down there and start looking at it. Just just get get in the process of this is what I'm going to do and, and start thinking in that direction. Yeah, that would be pretty... Cold shower is one thing, but breaking the ice to get in a frozen creek? <sighs> Brother, that's difficult. Shout out to you, Elliot. Man, that takes some stones to do that. That's, that'd be hard. I know guys are doing it. I, I'm going to do it. i got to just get down there. and get, I, Maybe I'll go down there and put my toe in it. <laughs> get started. We have a super chat from our friend Spartan219. Shout out to you, Spartan. Good to see you back. Just saying hi, Cody. Stacking money before the breakup. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And Spartan is, we talked about him, was it two weeks ago? He's in a bad relationship. And... Um, was asking for some advice what to get out. He's got someone that's not treating him very well, not, not respecting him. And, uh, yeah, you have to do that. You know, it, it, you have to make a plan. You know, your, you know your situation. If you don't have the money to get into a, another place or an apartment, you know, that would be foolish for you to, to bite the hand uh, before you're in a position where you can do something unless you want to live in your car, which no one wants to live in their car. So that's, that's good advice. Keep your... Keep your cards close to the vest and just grind. Grind. Be frugal. Don't spend any money. Grind. Get a second job if you have to. You can deliver pizzas right now at night. You know, you can pick up a few extra bucks that way. You, you can make an extra 500 bucks a week doing that. You know, get, do, put your Ubers, whatever. Get a second thing going on and stack up that cash. Have, have a plan uh, that you can get yourself out of that situation. Stack that cash. Have the intensity as Dave Ramsey puts it, have the intensity of a, the gazelle intensity. That intensity that you see the gazelle when he's trying to run away from the lion or the tiger, that's intensity right there. You need to have that intensity to get out of a situation that's difficult. You need to have that intensity right now if you're in debt, if you have credit card debt, if you have student loans. That intense, that's the intensity that you need to have uh, to extricate yourself from that as well. And that's the one beautiful thing about us men is that we can do that. 
Once we set our mind to something like that, once we resolve to change our situation and do something, we can focus, we can have that focus. And uh, nothing matters until that's done. It sounds like you're on the right path. I'm glad to hear that, Spartan. Shout out to you. I know some of the guys, some of the middlemen behind the scenes have been also been working with Spartan to, to and um, help, helping him out to come up with a plan. He's at a bad spot. We have a super chat from Madrox303. Shout out to you, Madrox. Madrox writes, so looking forward to the deep dive in the wound care bucket. My stuff from Refuge has been top notch. Yeah, it's the best. It is, it's the best I've seen. And also, I also want to give props out to my, my friend David Pruitt at Amp3. Uh, he does nice stuff as well. But this, this was really revolutionary. This is important. You know, we're all busy. Yes, you can go online. You can watch all the videos. You can educate yourself. You can buy the stuff in bulk. You can put your own kits together. And you, if you want to do that, do it. I've done it, most of my kits. But if you want to focus on your current grind and you do what you do, let these folks, they've already done the heavy lifting for you, and they've packaged it. It's 130 bucks, And this thing is chock full. I mean chock full. Look at, just look at the gloves. How many gloves are in there? You think this is an extensive, comprehensive kit? Look at the tape. Four rolls, the big rolls. Look at the, the triple antibiotic biotic ointment. The giant, two of them, the giant, they're the size of a tube of toothpaste. The giant ones, not those little tiny ones, not those little foil packets, two of them. Look at the Band-Aids. There's hundreds of them in there. Etc., etc., etc. This is the this is the Mondo kit right here. This is a one and done. And it, it's nice that it's in the 5 gallon bucket because it's going to be kept clean and sanitary. It's going to be you can put it in a dirty environment, you could bury it in the ground, you know, you could throw it around in the back of your travel trailer, what have you, you know, you're not going to have to worry about it getting wet. It's brilliant. It was a very, very smart thing to do. Go over, maybe one of the middlemen, can you throw up Refuge Medical? Again, this is not a sponsored ad. They're just really, really good people over there. They've got a lot of good content online on their channel. Um, but maybe you could throw up the link. Just go over there and get your stuff. Get that. Get that, get your water cans, get your gas cans, have them filled up, have your gas cans filled up, have an extra, uh, extra tank of fuel for all your vehicles. Three months of food, if you're looking for resources, our Mormon friends, you know, they, they're all about hoarding food. Some of, them, some of them store seven years of food for their entire family. They know what they're doing. They have their own dispensaries, canneries, and everything. They've got a lot of resources. So if you want, if you don't know where to start, you can go there and you can download their lists and they give you how many calories you need per family member and they give you recommendations. You don't, you don't have, the resources are out there, beloved. You don't have to go and figure it out. It's hard to figure that stuff out and you utilize those things. You utilize those, those, um, those lists. Andrew Rouse, good to see you back. 
Thank you for your generosity. It's always good to see Andrew Andrew here. Andrew writes, I kind of hope it's aliens and not the Chinese. Who do you think is spying on us? Neither. (laughs) So the aliens, now, uh, don't fool for this one, beloved. There are no aliens. Uh, This is going to be used as a distraction, is being used as a distraction. This is a weapon of war. This is to get your attention off of other things that are going on behind the scenes that you don't know. And many, many people are going to be carried away, and many good, good Christians, people, followers of the way, are going to be carried away by this great deceit. You know, they have the technology. You know, it was, um, I think, if our memory serves, during World War I, correct me if I'm wrong, our, our friend Overton probably knows all about this. World War I, it was the Germans or the French um, were putting, now it was not a hologram, but some sort, of, they, had, they came up with technology to some sort of a reflection or something like a, 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 maybe a movie picture or something of an image of the Virgin Mary in the sky to, to confuse uh, and to delay responses and, and to, you know, th- this, this was used as a weapon of war, you know, to, to prevent someone from doing something just for a split second, who knows what. This technology is out there. Have you seen the hol- I don't know if they're true holographs or so, but you've seen them at rock concerts where they can uh, post someone up that lo- looks like the real person. Have you seen some of the lighting effects and different technologies that they've had at sports stadiums to make look, you look like a giant monster is, is crawling up over the, the, the stadium? We've seen all these things, right? Well, this is what's available commercially. Do you not think that the technology has been worked on and is already probably perfected that is in state hands? that can project things a certain way, that, that can make, make you believe that there's a UFO or, or an attack or something like that? And how many people will believe that? How many people are still watching the Super Bowl? You know, I mean, it's not hard to figure that out, right? And you've been prepped for years through all of your movies, you know, about aliens and space and discovery and first contact. We've all grown up with that. We're all primed for it. Of course, it's, it will just naturally slip right into that. It'll be easy. It's going to be used. That's what they're going to do. It's also a sign of desperation. If they have to go to that, if they have to fake alien invasion and aliens and, and trot this narrative out, you know that, it's, that, they're, that they're running out of options and that it's all about to come undone. But those of us who follow the way, do not be deceived by this. Just ridicule it. Don't even pay any attention to it. I don't believe there's anything to it. It's all a distraction. You should mock it and laugh at it. It's foolishness. We have a super chat from Jim Bacchus. Shout out to you, Jim. And Jim writes, We've been raising our own pigs, chickens, and cows. Our meat doesn't even look the same as what's behind the counter. Amazing how terrible food is these days. It's amazing. You don't even know. You know, it's, it's, the, slow bur- it's the slow boil that's gotten you. If you've never traveled to Europe, like, have you noticed how terrible the candy bars and like the, the convenience store candy bars that we've grown up with? You know, the Snickers bars, uh, M&Ms, what have you. Have you noticed how disgusting they've been? How, how poor quality and terrible the chocolate is and they don't really taste, they don't even taste good anymore, just sweet, gross nonsense? It's, it's happened over a long period of time. Everything has gotten worse. Everything has been created to last uh, 
uh, shorter and shorter. I watched an interesting TikTok video a week ago or so about uh, a woman that had been buying the same, same, several same articles of clothing for, for decades from a major manufacturer and had worn the same thing. And she was talking about bras and different knit tops and things, but it's the same one for, for that she's had forever and ever. 20 years, been buying the same thing. And she got in and was talking about the quality difference, how even though it's the same thing, same colors, it looks identical, she's finding that they're just not lasting. Things are breaking. Things won't last. They won't even make it a year where she has some that she had bought 20 years ago that she still wears that are still rugged, rugged enough to still last, have been washed a thousand times, no problem. Everything designed to break and to fail and to be of lower quality, worse and worse and worse. The nutrients, it's been speculated that in the last couple decades, 40% of the nutrients of the food that you enjoy has been washed out of it, is gone, has been depleted. This is eggs and everything. You want a reality check? We had, it happened to us just the other day. We had, someone had come over, uh, we had a dinner, and someone had brought some eggs or something for some reason, so we had some store-bought eggs. I don't remember how, how they got in the house. Now we buy our eggs from our neighbor. And when we had, so we had both open. And uh, we're sitting at the bar and the sweet loaf sitting next to me. And uh, Mrs. W cracks two eggs. She cracks one from the store-bought egg and one from our neighbor. The organ has the organic chickens that are raised to get to be out in the field all day in the sun, you know, like chickens should be. It was astonishing. The farm chicken was almost, do you see Vinny's super chat right there, that bright orange color? That's the color of the yolks. Big, robust, tons of flavor, firm, thick shells, like really proper eggs. That's what we typically eat. And then this pale, anemic, nasty, tasteless, thin-shelled imposter uh, from the store. And the store egg, it wasn't even the cheap one. It was one that was on the more expensive ones, you know, the, the non the Free Ranger, you know, the Free Ranger in the brown, farm fresh, you know, what have you. The contrast was significant. The baby looked at it and she said, Mama, what's wrong with that egg? Why is one so beautiful and one so ugly? You don't even know it. You don't even know it if you don't, if you, if you, if you don't have access to them, if you haven't seen them. But just the, t and the beef, the beef, we're so used to eating proper beef that are raised on pastures that eat grass that have not been shot up with anything that are just organic and natural. We've become accustomed to that, to try to go eat out or to buy something at a grocery store. I found it, it's just not even palatable. It's, uh, yeah, man, you, Jim, shout out to you. Big difference, big difference. It's, that, it's the slow boil, man. It's the frog in the pot. You don't even know. You don't even know how bad it's gotten because just, it's just happened over a course of, of time. We have a super chat from Sam McGee. Shout out to you, Sam. And Sam writes, a commercial filmmaker, I love your approach to content production. Removing intros altogether makes your videos worth watching every time. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, interest, fun fact, Sam, that the best lesson that I have learned for producing content on YouTube is the short content. When you've got 60 seconds to tell a story, uh, man, that makes you, that forces you uh, to be very brief and get to the point quickly. You don't have any time. Uh, to tell a story or to show something start to finish, like how to hang an axe head in 60 seconds, go try it. 
it's difficult. Um, I mean, it's very, very difficult. And ha being forced to do that, you know, being goaded over to the shorts category because of YouTube, um, that definitely helps my, has helped tighten up my regular editing. Now, I almost have to be careful. If I'm doing a long-form content, I tend to get into almost cutting too much of it out, like being, you know, clipping too, too, too much. So, but that, you have to be brief. There's so much attention, so much competition for everyone's attention, and it's so easy to swipe, you know, swipe and, and move beyond it that um, if you're wasting time, like, goodness, to put an intro in any video now, forget about it. Forget about it. It's the worst thing you could do. It's a death sentence. We have a super chat from Jezza4300. Good to see Jezza back. He says, speaking of health, keep your friends in Ohio in our thoughts. The evil is really showing its hand. Yeah, you know, the train companies have a terrible record uh, of abusing people. If you know anyone, I'm going to give this advice uh, as a student of history. If you know anyone that is affected by that in that area. Watch what happens. What will happen? And also, you know, I'm a former hazmat tech. I've had a significant amount of training uh, in regards to this. I've actually been to the railroad uh, week-long school to deal with these ruptured train cars. I was one of the only people in my department that held that certification to be qualified to show up to uh, the train wrecks that we have here, which is crude oil. So I, I, I have some understanding, some knowledge of this. If you have any loved ones or know anyone in that area, what's most likely going to happen is the railroad will come to them shortly, if they haven't already, and offer them um, a cash settlement. What you need to tell your friends and family that are affected by this, and this is even downstream, even downwind, look at the wind patterns and the water flows. Look where the water, what the watershed does in this area. And if your loved ones are downstream of that, you need to contact them. They should immediately, right now, go and get their whole family, get a physical. Get a physical. You need to establish a baseline of your health, that you do not have tumors, you do not have malignant cancer, you don't have respiratory problems, all these things. You need to do that immediately and have that documented on the record. First off, that needs to be done yesterday. The railroads are most likely going to come to these folks and they're going to offer them what looks like a good deal. It might even be $50,000, $100,000. But with, if you take that money, you will be forced to sign a waiver where you'll never, ever have the ability to go back on them for any potential problems down the line, especially health problems. You'll be out of luck. So warn them, do not take this and lawyer up. Get an attorney. There's going to be the attorneys, the, the ambulance chasers will be coming out of the woodwork, uh, but they, you know, they play a service as well. Um, and there'll be class action lawsuits, I have no doubt. But get the physical right now and, um, and document that. That way, when they, and don't take their money, don't take their money. That way, they'll never be able to say, oh, you've always had this health problem. You've always had these respiratory issues, blah, 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 blah. You know, when we, when I went into the fire department, when I got hired as a full-time firefighter, the first thing they, I did before I started shift is they, they sent me through a very extensive physical. And they did blood work and they passed history um, any uh, injuries, you know, they did x-rays, everything. They even uh, measured lung volume, capacity. 
They wanted to know how much capacity you have, which is interesting. You know, I have my lung capacity is almost 30% greater than the average. That's why I've always been able to recover really quickly. I've always been able to out-hike people. My granddad was that way. He was the same way. He had almost a superhuman ability to, to hike when we went hunting that was astonishing. Um, he could recover really quickly because he had big lungs as well. So they measure all of that. And the reason why they do that is they want to know that if down the road you file a claim against the department, they can have a baseline. They can realize, oh, you had a, you had a lung capacity at this. Now, after five years, 10 years on, this, on the department, your lung capacity is 50% of that. Obviously, there's a problem. Therefore, you know, something has happened during your occupation here. That's what they're doing. So that's, that's, I would, yeah, pray for them, goodness, but also let them be smart about it and warn them. If you, if you have the ability to reach anyone, please tell them, give them the advice that I just shared with you. Yeah, evil. Evil. Liars. Evil. It's terrible. You know, it's terrible that, the, that there is no truth in the government and, and that their default is to automatically lie, deceive, and cover up and keep you in the dark. That's just, that's their MO. That's just what they do. So when they're talking about balloons and they're talking about, oh, jet fighters saw this and, and this and that, it's all BS. It's all BS. And you just can't trust any of it. All they do is lie. Their default is to lie. Their default is to keep you in the dark. And why would we expect the giant corporations to do anything else? You know, they sit on top of the government. The corporations, they own the, the Congress. They're the puppet masters. They're the ones that control the money. Do you know what it costs to be elected to, to run a campaign as a U.S. senator? More than you have. There's no way for you to become a state senator without, unless you're owned by someone else, unless you have a benefactor or multiple benefactors, which are corporations. And the borrower is slave to the lender, as the good book tells us. He who pays the bills makes the, makes the rules. Who, who, who has the gold, as I like to tell my son. We have a super chat from Jack S. Welcome. Shout out to you, Jack. And Jack says, how do you find your 11-11 that you can trust? I don't know what that is. What's an 11-11? How do you find your 11-11 that you can trust? Man, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I, it's going over my head, Jack. I don't know what that means. Maybe someone can clarify for me. But shout out to you, nonetheless. We have a new member. Yazine. Good to see you back. Welcome. Thank you for joining. Thank you for your support. And Vinny G. Goodness, that's a very generous super chat. Thank you, Vinny. Glad to have you here as well. And Sinkable Might 111. Brand new member. Three brand new members. It warms the heart. Man, we're going to be unlocking the new member emoji before we know it. As soon as we unlock that, I'll put that out to you guys, and you can pick what's it going to be. So start thinking about that. It's going to happen soon. We have a super chat from might 111 and new member. Hey, did you get my email? Yes. And I am actually, I don't, this weekend, we had a bunch of stuff going on. Um, I, 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 needed, I wanted to spend time with my family. I took off uh, both days uh, to spend with my kids. Um, we went bike riding and we rode our one wheels and we had a good time and I just stayed away from all of that computer and everything. So I have them stacked up. 
my plan after the super chat is to go down there and answer those. I know some of you have them waiting. So yes, I did get it. Um, and I'll, I'll uh, as soon as we're over here, I'm going to jump over there and grab those. Shout out to you. Thank you. Evan Roach, new member. Get to the river and start with a foot, toe, no go. Go to the river and start with a foot, toe, no go. Start with the foot, huh? All right, I will do that. I will do that. I will go down there and I will actually, I'll even shoot it for the members. I will shoot putting my foot in. I'll put two feet in. Or maybe even roll up my pants. And I'll do that. I'm going down there in the snow, in the ice. That's going to be a members video right after the night vision. Yeah, you talked me into it. I will. I'll do that, Evan. I think that's where we need to start. Start with the toe, get in past the knees, the waist, and then once you're in the waist, then you got it, right? And then there's the getting out process. <laughs> we have a new member, Clifford Huff. Welcome, Clifford. Welcome. Glad to have you here. You're going, you're, you are going to get to enjoy me getting down and uh, trying to get down in that cold river. I might even do it today. If not today, tomorrow morning. We have a super chat from Vinny G. Very generous. $20. Thank you, Vinny. It's very kind of you. Vinny writes, uh, Cody, thank you for sharing your life experience with us. 35-year-old East Coast guy here. We know you're hard-headed, Vinny. I often tune into the live chat and you're talking about something I'm struggling with that day. Yeah, you know, the, 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 Lord, the, good, the good Lord has put us here together to encourage one another. And that is me as well. You know, the, I, I'm, not, I'm not elevating myself at all above any of you. We're all in this boat together. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But with all the attacks on us and seeing our nation in decline and seeing our leadership failing us, I found myself getting into Great Depression as well. And having this live stream to, to, to look forward to, knowing that the good people that are supporting in the background, the middlemen that are helping, that have got my back and giving me encouragement, the comments, the support here is, has changed my outlook and given me an optimism for the future and a, and a zeal um, to, to fight the good fight that I was about to give up on the last, last, at the end of last summer. And, and, I, and I, I know we're brought here for a reason. I appreciate that. It's, it's a shame we can't all be together, but that's not the world we live in. And this is, a, this is a good time to live. We're greatly honored. We're greatly honored to be, if we be the ones that are still standing, still on our feet when our Lord comes, uh, a tremendous honor. And to be called, the, the few, the fraction, fraction of a percent to be called, to do His work uh, is, um, how do you put a price on that? How do you put a price on that? We're greatly honored, beloved. We are the special forces, as I'm so fond of saying, we are the special forces of the army of God. And the power that we will wield. You know, they tell us, scientists tell us that we have, how many? Billions and billions upon billions of cells within us, right? And they tell us that all of our cells are electrically charged. We have, what, 1.3, 1. 1. volts per cell. What happens when you put 1.4, when you wire that in series, times a billion? How many volts is that? We have the potential within us. Now, what, what did our Lord tell us? He goes, oh, you, you, did you see the miracles that I did? What did I do? Healed people from leprosy. Healed withered hands raised the dead, walked on water, 
calm the ocean. These are all great things, right? We all know that. He says, oh, this is nothing. I tell you the truth, the things, those people who love me and serve me in the last days, who I've called to do my work, they'll do greater things than this. We have the potential, our Creator, to be nuclear warheads for whatever purpose He sees fit, when you think of it that way. If you were to, if you were to wire, if you were to be able to harness the voltage in those cells, 1.3, 1.4 volts, they tell us, I believe. If that could all be released like a capacitor at one time, I mean, it would make a hydrogen bomb look like a firecracker. We have great potential, beloved. We don't see it now. We see through a glass dimly and what he has in store for us. But we need to prepare our bodies and minds. Be ready spiritually. Take care of your body the best you can. Get yourself in an environment that's as healthy as can. And get prepared for the work. You know, and I know... I'm, ne I'm not going to blame anyone for their decision how they fell on the, on the, on the jab. We all reacted with the information that we had. And some people, there's a lot of people that now that are living with a lot of regret and in fear that they've done something that's going to be irreparable, that's going to harm them, that's going to manifest down the road. Just remember that God can, there's nothing that He can't do. And that that is not necessarily a death sentence. So, if you fell on a particular side that you wished you hadn't, or you made a decision that you hadn't, you know, I would, I, I would pray about that, and I would take encouragement that, that that's not necessarily the end of the end of the world. So just without getting into weeds on that, no one here is judging you. There are people that took it too far that we do judge, that wanted to see us rounded up and thrown in camps and even executed pulled and drugged out, drugged out of our homes, our ch children stripped away from us. There'll be no forgiveness for that. I will remember. I saw family members. I saw friends that I'd had, we've had for decades that turned upon, uh, that, well, you know what I'm saying. We will remember. It's one thing to have acted the best you could with the information that you had. It was a whole other thing to, uh, want to drag people and have people strung up uh, because they didn't agree with you ideologically. We have a super chat from Brandon Aga and new member. Welcome, Brandon. Shout out to you. He says, I have mentioned fasting. Um, EHAT, is, what's your thoughts on doing something as a group? Keep up the good work. Your brothers are behind you. Yeah, I brought this up last week. I, I kind of proposed this to the middlemen to think about this, and not all of them can join us, but I know some, some of them have expressed some interest. But I've been thinking about doing a 30-day, uh, not a 30-day fast, but we could try it for a month where we pick one day out of the week and we're going to do, we do a corporate fast where we'll spend time fasting for two reasons. The good book tells us that we should fast and pray, and especially... In the end times, there was strict, it was strictly, it, it was a very explicit, the instructions from Jesus about, to the apostles, that there will come a time when this will be important. And he likened it into the time after his resurrection. He said, you know, to fast and pray now, when you're with me, that's not the time for that. But a time will come when that will be necessary. There's two components to that. There is the spiritual component. I have done it in the past, and I know that it is very, an important thing for the, a follower of the way to fast from time to time 
in that it helps you to helps to keep your focus on what it is that you want. I have in times of trouble of my life, it was commonly done by my grandfather and my parents and a lot of family that I grew up with that in ex- time, extreme times of trouble, like a, a sickness in the home or a, a financial disaster or, or just what have you, that the family would come together um, and pray and fast. Um, the process, uh, it, the good book tells us that when you, when you fast, it's a private matter. You don't want to make a spectacle of yourself, but you, you go into your closet. And that's just a reference of just go in private. Go someplace and, and do this in private with your Father, with, with your God. And you anoint your head with oil. You know, I use olive oil. We always used olive oil growing up. You anoint your head with oil, and you get down on your knees, and you pray, and you initiate this. And whatever it is, your request or your grievance or whatever you have, that, that, that you make a commitment. I'm going to fast for 12 hours, t- whatever. It doesn't matter. You, you choose whatever, whatever works for you. But usually it was 12 hours for us or 24 hours where you abstain from all food. Drink water. You, know, you don't want to die, but, but just abstain from it. And that constant awareness of being hungry and your stomach grumbling, what it tends to do is it keeps your, keeps your focus on what it is that, that's troubling you. And it, and it keeps your mind on God. And you find yourself, the more hungry you get, it's a, a constant reminder. You know, some people put a rubber band on their wrist when they want to remember something or tie a string on their finger. You know, we've all played those games or even set an alarm on your watch. There's a reminder to you that every time you're hungry, the reason why you're doing this and to, and to get your mind thinking and your, ta- your, your mind set upon God in your, your particular request or your, your prayer. So there's that aspect of it. And, you know, I'm not a nutritionist or anything, but we're being told, and I think the, the science has proven out that fasting is also could have health benefits for some people. Not everyone. You know, you know your situation. Not everyone can do it. But if you have the ability to do it, then it's kind of a, a good one-two combo, a good, a good thing to do. So, yeah, I, I put that out there uh, last week. I wanted the guys to kind of think about that. Let's pick a day. I will do it. Um, and I think I'm going to do a 24-hour. Uh, so one day a week. I'll do a 24-hour fast, and we'll do it for a month. So that'll be four four weeks, um, and we can. And you, we'll pick a time and a date, and it helps helps to do that because those of you who are when you're suffering and when you get hungry, you'll know that you're you're not alone. That because misery loves company, right? You know you're not alone. We'll do that. Yep, I'm willing to do it. So let me get with the middlemen. I'll get up with them on signal tonight, and um, we'll pick a date and we'll announce it tomorrow. So. I'm on record. We'll do it. We'll announce it tomorrow. Good, good comment, Brandon. We have a super chat from Crazy Nerd Inventor. Shout out to you. Crazy Nerd says, have you seen the movie Wally? How probable do you think the fate is for humanity? I have seen that movie. That is that the Pixar movie with the robot? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Yeah, well, it seems it's very uh, unlikely to be coincidence to see all of these um, different scenarios and events that take place in movies and in Hollywood and uh, The Simpsons. We've all seen that where it's almost prophetic, where they write about things or even show people wearing particular things or even word for word say things that are done in the future. It's pretty spooky stuff, right? It's not. It's not. It's it's happening. I think what that is, is from what I understand, 
the, with the adversary and those who work for the adversary, that old Satan and the devil, that they seem to be bound and have to work within a framework. They are, they're bound by certain guidelines. Now, God tells us that he's, he allows the evil to come only so far. And those of us who are wrapped in, in the protection in the robe of righteousness through our G Lord and Savior Jesus Christ have, have, a, have a, a band of protection around us that not that they can't get access to us. God will allow access to us to test us in various matters, but will not be able to harm you beyond what you're able to resist. So we are protected that way. It seems as if the, the adversary and his confederates have to operate within a certain set of guidelines. And one of those guidelines that they seem to be, seems to be required of them is they have to tip their hand of what they're doing. They have to say, and they say, they say this as much, they admit this, this isn't just my think so. They have to let you know in one way or another how and what they're going to do. And in so doing, that they are no longer to be held responsible for that. It is your fault because they warned you. We warned you. It's been here the whole time. The truth has been in plain sight. It's not our fault you didn't see it. That's the way it operates. So I, I wonder if these things that TV series, cartoon series, movies, you see it with the Masons, or they love hiding the truth in plain sight, the filthy Masons, that, um, that this is something that they are required to do, and they do it and they mock you. And they put it out there. Uh, and I, so there's, I don't know. I don't, I, I haven't watched movies. I don't follow media anymore. I, I completely cut that out of my life. I don't, um, I don't know what's going on now. I don't watch any of these superhero things, but I have to think that this is all part of the programming and part of the requirement. Because uh, there's no question that, the, that the, the adversary is in these movies and in the media. You know, it's the ignorance you just take, for example, how many of you have seen the movie Monsters, Inc.? How many of you shared that with your children? How many of you own it? I had recently had a conversation with someone that is, uh, from a, is a devout Christian from a devout family. And I brought up the fact that this movie is extremely um, troubling and, and satanic. And she it's like, what do you mean? No, it's not. And argued with me about it. He's like, what are you talking about? I said, well, look at the concept here. You have um, children that are being taken, that are being frightened to death to extract the fear, which is the adrenochrome, right? The fear from them, so that these monsters can consume it. And, and that this is, a, this is a children's movie. Right, in your, right under your own nose, in your own house, you probably have it in your house, and you enjoy it and share it with your children. Have you stopped to think what that's about? That's what they're doing right, right in front of you, beloved. Right in front of you, right in front of your children, and you feed it to them. They laugh at you, they mock you, the devil laughs and mocks you, and you, you're, you're ignorant to it, you don't even know it. And the, this particular person that was arguing that there was nothing wrong with this made the point that, well, the end was happy. At the, at the end, it was laughter and happiness that, that, that overcame. You know, it's, it's insidious, beloved. We have a new member, Brendan Bourne. Shout out to you. Welcome. 
Welcome. Good to see you here, Brendan. You get to see me put my toe in the river. <laughs> Nothing but the best entertainment around here. And Clifford Huff, new member as well. Welcome. Shout out to you, Clifford. Clifford says, I've been doing cold plunges in my pond. Glad to be a member and supporting you, you and your family further. Thank you, Clifford. Well, you're ahead of me on that, Cliff. But I will, um, I will go down there and I will put my, I'll put my foot in. I, I'm curious to see how cold it is. How about we take, I'll take a thermometer down there. I've got a laser thermometer and we'll see how cold that is. We'll see how cold that is. It won't matter. We got to get in. It doesn't really matter how cold it is. Yeah. I, I thought I was leading the, this whole movement, but you guys are way ahead of me. Taking 16 minute, 15 minute, 26 minute cold showers, Skyler. We have a super chat from Jackass. He says, how do you find your 1111 that you can trust, the middlemen? Are you guys giving me a riddle? I don't know what that means. Is it so obvious and I just can't see it? How do you find your 11, 11 that you can trust? Are you talking about a mate? Like Mrs. W is obviously an 11. <laughs> Mrs. W and I did something that was funny last night. We were, we were watching, um, we were watching a Joe Rogan podcast. Man, if you want to watch a good one, I mean, the middleman, you have to, I wish I had a Jamie. Middleman, you can pull this up. I don't, I haven't watched a Joe Rogan podcast for a long time. It's probably been, uh, it was back when I was on the old, old, old homestead. But uh, his clips have been coming up on YouTube and on shorts, and they've been quite interesting, uh, some of them, some really interesting guests. And he interviewed this guy by the name of Peter oh, Overton. Help me out here. Can you, what's, what's Peter's last name? He is an um, econo economist or, or something. But, man, he was bringing some very interesting things about um, the future with China and Russia. And the clips were so fascinating that we, uh, I went to Spotify and we were listening to it last night. I would highly, highly recommend it. It was very, very insightful. Uh, Zach, no, it's Joe Ro Rogan. If you search Joe Ro Rogan, Peter, and I can't remember his last name. But it was very interesting about the future prospects of the West, future prospects of China, future prospects of the war in Ukraine, and really looking at it from a practical matter. Cody, you're 11 male. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Are we talking about the rating system? That's what I was getting at. So we were watching this, and um, for the, the topic of high value, high value, Pete, there it is. Thank you, Overton. Overton for the win. Peter Zihan, Zihan. Go look up that uh, podcast. If you don't have, do you have to be a member to, I have a Spotify membership. I don't know if you have to have a, be a member to watch that. You probably do. But if you don't have that, just search on YouTube, Joe Rogan with this Peter Z Zahan, and some really good clips will come up. There's about a half a dozen of them, and they are very, very interesting, worth watching. I forget what we were talking about, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good one, man. We watched those last night. Oh, I know what I was getting at. The sexual market value. So for some reason, the high-valued males and high-valued people came up, and we were, t we, were, we were talking to that back and forth, her and I. And I said, I think that there's a, just for fun, there's, there's a sexual market value calculator online where you can put in your age, weight, name, income, fit, how, how fit you are, 
uh, all these, you know, your attractiveness and, you know, all, all this stuff. And so she's like, we should go do that. That'd be fun. Okay, so we went and did it. So I put all my stuff in there and I came back as an 8.1. <laughs> so that's pretty good at 50, right? <laughs> so Mrs. W., she was a little nervous to do hers. Uh, and so we tried to do hers, but it didn't work for the, for, they had a male-female version. So I told her this morning, I said, how does it feel uh, to be married to an 8.1? <laughs> she could do worse, right? Being six foot four doesn't hurt either. That brings your, your, your uh, number way up. Uh, we have a super chat from Jack S. Who says, how do you, oh, I already read that. I don't know what that means, the 11. How did you find your 11 middle? Oh, goodness, it's so obvious. <sighs> I don't know. I, I had on my mind this rating, this, this rating system of, you know, she's an 8, 9, 10, and that's what I thought you were going at, and I couldn't get my mind off of anything. How did I find my brain trust? Goodness, good thing I'm not in it. Well, it kind of just manifested. Um, Overton uh, helped, as well as some of the other members. Um, and I think the Lord brought some folks into uh, us together. So what I was thinking, so what we were talking, so what I wanted to do, when I got serious with the, the live stream, I decided, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do it every day, and we're going to build this thing. I realized from the past, I've had, we've had, you always have problems with trolls and such, and I don't have the ability to monitor the chat when I'm doing this. I'm trying to focus on... Uh, giving answers and comments on the questions that you guys are giving. And I just, I can't divide my mind to see this. I see it moving, but it doesn't mean anything to me. It's just like looking at the matrix. So I realized I had to have some, some moderators. Well, there's been a lot of the, the 11 have been with us for a long time. Um, some of them I've even met. Um, some of our moderators we met in Boston. Um, that put uh, a party, you know, so we have a lot of history there. And although I had never seen many of them, most of them, I've, I, they've been in the comments forever and ever and just been, have been, been loyal uh, moderators for the few times that I have uh, done live stream and such. So I, I reached out to some of the guys and Overton was one of them. You know, he's always been, uh, always been with me in the live streams and moderating and been a big help to me. And I've always liked his takes. I've always known he's very, he, he has good, just his name alone, Overton Windex, you know, is very clever. If you know, you know, right? And that, just having that name, I knew he was smart and my type of guy. And so uh, I kind of reached out and we got together and, and picked a few of the guys uh, that I knew uh, had been with us for a long time that were solid and good, reliable people. And it was kind of, uh, it just developed, I didn't, I had a number picked out and I was thinking, you know, maybe six or seven would be enough. And then I thought, well, you know, let's, we're on good authority. How many disciples did the, did the Lord uh, have around him? You know, he had 12, right? Well, he, know, he knew that that was a good number. And I figured, why reinvent the wheel here? So I talked about this, and we didn't know if it was really possible if we could get 12. I, I wanted to be sure that I was one of them, you know. I don't want to be, we want to have a round table. We don't want to have someone sitting up on a pulpit preaching to anyone. We're not doing that here. We're all in the same boat. One is not greater than in anyone else. This is the body of Christ here. So uh, it just kind of worked out. And we, we got close, and then um, I kind of left it up to Overton. I said, this is something, if we could get this number, this would be nice. If not, it's not the end of the world. 
and people just came in with specific skill sets um, that have been very complementary to what we're trying to do, and um, and and the guys have just built an army, building an army. <laughs> of course, this is a spiritual army. You know, we don't advocate violence here. This is our battle is a war uh, of uh, against principalities, against uh, the spirit world. We're soldiers for Christ. We don't. We're not. We're not advocating violence here. Uh, that's not not where we, how, where our fight's going to be. That would be someone else to do. Now we will defend ourselves if attacked, but we're not going to be out, um, you know, shedding blood. That's not where it's at. We're Christian soldiers here, so it just kind of uh, manifested and has turned into a good group. Good group. You know, it was two weeks ago we finally got to get all together for the first time. Overton put together uh, a uh, a Zoom call. It was his and my first time on Zoom. I was really proud of myself. I, both of us were. We prided ourselves. We were one of the only people in the country that has never even downloaded the Zoom app, never been on it. And I was hoping to maintain that record, but, well, we, we broke our streak. So we had a Zoom call, and we got everyone together um, and got to meet one another and some of the family members, and it was cool. It was cool. So I, I don't know, man. It just kind of happened. The guys kind of found each other. Some of them even had been acquaintances and knew one another, uh, lived close by, and it's turned into a great group. Um, so it's been a great blessing, and it's the reason why we're here today. Uh, it's the reason why we're going to be doing a lot of cool stuff coming up that we're in the works for now. We just had a really good meeting Sunday night. Um, folks have been asking about merch. We wanted to do it right. We don't want to. We want to offer merchandise um, for two reasons. One is to be able to provide funding for the plans that we have, which is going to be having the, a, a facility. Change, you know, build it. We're building our. We're paying for our own house, but build, but just being able to get everything ready and everything in the works, so that we can have um, be offering classes and opportunity for folks to come out and spend time together. That's always been our goal out here. So it will be going towards that infrastructure and making those things available. We have to put roads in, bring water in, campsites, uh, cabins. You know, all that sort of thing needs to happen. So it'll offset some of the cost of that. And the other is just that a lot of you have been wanting it and want to be involved in that. So we were not wanting to, we, we sat down and we've put a lot of thought into this, especially the guys behind the scenes, the brain trust. They've put more thought into it than me. They're doing all the heavy lifting and they're bringing to me, like, this is what we got, which direction do you want to go? Let's go this direction, let's do this. And they're making it happen. So that's coming up very quickly. Mrs. W is actually working on that all day and doing a lot of work on the back end as well. We don't want to just have some garbage out there or just outsource it to some random company and not know where anything comes from and all that, you know. A lot of folks, some folks, are, it's important that they have USA-made stuff, so we wanted to figure out a way we could make that an option, but some folks, they don't care. They just want it to be good quality and know where it comes from, and if it's made in um, someplace else, they don't have a problem with that because the cost is going to go up. So we, we, we want to be sensitive to this. We want to have when you get something, it's going to be something that's good, something that's high quality that will last, something that you enjoy. And also we want to involve when it comes on the creative side and the artwork. You know, we've got some really good dudes, some subscribers that are waiting that we can make sure we can get involved with that and we can just have fun with it. So when something comes up, you know, we can do a proho shirt, we can do dual alternators, we can do stickers, you know, and, and fun things like that. So we're working on that, we're building that right now. Um, so that's going to be coming really soon, quicker than I thought, because of the hard work from the middlemen in the background. Shout out to the middlemen. Goodness. 
Keller Farms, our newest member. Welcome. Welcome. Good to see you here. And our last super chat, Mr. Jeremy Gross and new members, middlemen equal the 11. I am not a smart man. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't put that together. I do not know why we couldn't put that together. All right. Goodness. It seems like we always, two and a half hours. This time goes by so quickly, so quickly. Well, thank you, beloved. I sure do appreciate your support. A lot of really interesting questions. Do not be discouraged, beloved. Do not be discouraged. Take the cold showers if you're physically able. Look up the Wim Hof breathing me method. Get up a half, half hour early and just do it. And just do it for a week. If it doesn't work for you, then you, we don't we, you don't have to do it anymore. But just do it. Try to get in there. Start slow if you're, if you're worried or afraid of it. If you have the ability to jump in like we did, many of us did, do the three minutes. But do what you have to do. You'll be amazed. If you want to have lots of energy, a, a positive outlook on, on life, feel like you can take on the day, uh, it makes a huge difference, beloved. It makes a huge difference. Drink lots of water. Try to get yourself a, if you can get a stainless steel canteen, stainless is always better to cook and drink out of than the plastics if you can help it. It's not always an option, but whatever you can, just try to, try to start cutting off all these little, little things that are in your life that are making you sick. If you can get things that are more natural, um, look out for that um, toothpaste with fluoride. Look out for that deodorant that has aluminum in it. Get rid of that stuff. Um, look out, uh, don't be cooking in the, in the, the Teflon pans. Um, Try to get the cleanest, best water that you can. If you smell chlorine in your shower, if you smell chlorine in the tap, even though you're not drinking it, there are options. You can put inline filters on your shower head that, that, will, that will grab that. You know, the, all these little things, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not the expert on this and I'm not like the, the super health, fit, hippie fitness guy, but... I will try to work these things in as I become aware of them. And I didn't know a lot of these things as well. You know, I'm discovering this, some of these things for the first time as well. But there's new insights. God is making this knowledge available to us because he wants us to be healthy and happy and prosper. He wants to prepare us for the hard work that's going to be ahead of us. We need to live long and still be alive if we're going to be able to be of use. And what's the good book tell, tell us? You know, a dead... <laughs> A dead or a living dog is better than a dead lion, right? So to, to stay alive and to be able to be uh, of use is important. We have an obligation. Remember that God will do a lot for us. So do He'll fill up, pick up the slack, the things we can't do. But Noah still had to build an ark. You know, he still had to get out there and labor and, and to work and prepare for his family. Could God have saved him through the through the flood? Of course. But the good book. The stories, everything that we see, the common thread that goes through there is, is it's, how, it's how God participates with man to, to get them through this difficult situ situation, to get us through this occupied country that we're in behind enemy lines, and to get us home, back home where we belong. And we feel it, I feel it, I think you feel it, that you've never belonged here, you never fitted in, something was wrong, it just didn't, didn't seem natural, didn't seem like just didn't, didn't seem right. I've always felt that way. Never fit in. I thought it was me. I thought I was crazy. How come no one else feels that way? But there's just some people, for some unknown reason, we'll never know until we're in the kingdom that God has set aside to do His work. 
and I don't know why. And uh, when you're called, you're called. You've got to do it. So he is preparing his children. And part of this message that, we've, that I'm trying to get out and share with you is, is these things as they're coming to my understanding. You know, taking your shoes off, getting close to nature, spend time outside, get your face in the sun, get these toxic chemicals and things out of your house, eat food as clean as you can, stop drinking power drinks and, or soda and, and the energy drinks and... You know, we're all guilty of these things. And it's, a hard, it's hard, but he, he says he'll never ask us, he'll never take anything away from us where he doesn't replace it with something better. And I enjoyed having Hostess Donuts and Gatorade and soda and all that good stuff just as much as you guys did. But um, now I drink pure water. I take cold showers. Um, and those two things are not near as fun as, as warm showers and soda or whiskey. Uh, but... He is not take, he's taking these things away from me. He isn't taking them away. He's altered my understanding so that now I'm in line with his way of thinking. My way of thinking was incorrect. His way of thinking is correct. I was thinking wrong. Now I'm thinking right. He brings me in alignment with him. Um, and he's, we're going to be see, receiving a lot of instruction, I believe, in the future, a lot of things, insights, and we'll share those together and we'll, we'll make, the, uh, make the changes so that we can uh, be fit for the battle. All right. Well, thank you, beloved. Keep us in your prayers. May God bless you and your families. Look forward to the night vision video. It's coming up. And uh, I will get you guys down there with me at my camera in the river. We'll see, uh, see what we can do with that. So keep us in your prayers. We'll see you over on the next stream.